Hello and welcome to Game Brain, a board game podcast about our gaming group. I'm Ben Mandelker and I'm here today with the Luminaries. <laughs> Trey and Jordan, how's it going? Good. How are you doing, Ben? Doing well. Great to be here, Ben. Yeah, it's great to see I'm you. I'm a too. luminary? Yeah, you guys are both luminaries. That sounds like a good board game title. Luminaries. Yeah. Designed by Lumen. Designed by Lumen, the, the Agricola aficionado. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Luminaries. Lumen def- Sperling, yes. Luminaries definitely sounds like a game that would be released by the Italian designer. Like yeah, it's a are, dice like, drafter. And you're entering yeah. an academy about wizardry or something. And, yeah. You know, this game writes itself. It's a great game. I already bought it. It's just alma mater, but fixed. But not just like re released as Luminaries. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I mean, I'd buy it. I'm excited to buy it already. It's a great title. <laughs> it's Luminaries. Quick, let's get that entry into BGG, quick. It's probably already a game. Okay. Um, so hi, everyone. Uh, today, we're just going to be talking about uh, a bunch of games we've been playing recently, and then we're going to do a deep dive on Kutnahora, which we've been talking about recently enthusiastically on the podcast. Right. So um, we're going we're gonna to go hard. We're going to go hard with Kutnahora, and really, we're going to really... Break it all down and talk about what we like about it, etc. We're going to mine its depths. Ooh, yeah. It's a game about silver mining or just mining. We, we've started to go down the pun route. And I blame started you. To. I'm blame you, Ben. I've been in the pun route. Okay. So. <laughs> I'm in the route. Um, so why don't we Because that's podcast silver. Okay. okay. No, it's not go. Go. No. Yeah. no. Yeah. Well, I appreciate the silver. the silver lining on that cloud. All right. Don't take this as us saying you shouldn't try again, Trey. You should definitely <laughs> <But>. try again. <laughs> well, you know, not all puns, not all puns like really land, but that's the fun of it is that you just throw, you throw shit at the wall and yeah. see what you can come out with. Cause every now and then you find, you find something amazing, you know, Trey this was looks. a, this was a perfect December morning for me. Why is that? Because got to watch a big Liverpool comeback yeah. on the road. Two goals in the last 10 minutes while simultaneously playing Agricola on my phone. They were playing Agricola? While, while, we, while I was playing Agricola <laughs> with, with friends on my phone. So it was like the perfect mix of yeah. Saturday morning. The sun streaming in the windows with the low winter light. You know, were you, Did you say you were driving while this was happening? No, I was not driving. Okay. Just want to make sure. <laughs> I, I don't know why. Sitting on the couch. In my mind, for some reason, I had it that I'm you driving, were driving. I'm watching <laughs> Premier League and playing Agricola. Although it was it's last fun. night, it was we didn't know how Matt got some moves in while he was driving over to Tom's and like he was making moves while driving. That's right. Five minutes before he arrived at Tom's, he had made a move. <laughs> like, is he here? How did he, how did he do that? Hey Siri. Yeah. Take start player. I'm sure it was very safely at a red light and no one was honking. <laughs> and there's not like, you know, he did not leave a wake of death and destruction in his Agricola game in real life, you know? <laughs> that was all right lesson learned lesson our new learned. uh our new podcast co-host i won't say her name otherwise she'll probably speak up again yes lesson learned um uh by the way so the three of us uh it's been we we had some fun gaming last night um we did not okay i know we're not supposed to talk about this game and i don't even want to talk about this game generally speaking but i do have something on my mind to say about this game okay uh, of avalon oh okay um, cause you know, we talk about Avalon all the time. Yes. But what's, we've really, tried to dial it back. What's really funny is I'm not like the biggest Avalon. I, 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 I you've been in a tremendous sport. 
I know, but I have I have fun with the group when we play it because I like to be an agent of chaos or I like to just like mess with people. And it's for me, it's kind of like playing a video game where like an old school video game where you're like, okay, how how far can I go before I lose all my lives? And so um, it's not about like, oh, yes, I want an Avalon tonight. Yes, yes, I'm awesome. I've got a huge. Is, is that my reaction? Well, uh, okay. you know what? Your reaction is is more subdued than that. But that's I was going to say smug. No, no, okay. no, no, no. But I, I, I'm just like. But I also, enjoy, you know, I enjoy. We're friends, and so I enjoy being with the friends in that act. And so last week, Jordan and I were on a team, and within seconds, we were called out as being bad guys. Like within seconds, and I feel bad because <laughs> the prior week, I don't think you were there, but I was on an evil team. Our third team member was Chris. And Chris and I were on an evil team the previous week, and I was also immediately identified as evil right. and ruined the game for Chris. I, so I have a spotty record right now at Avalon. Yeah. But and, I still enjoy it. So, well, so what fun. actually had sucked for me was that, so Tom, you know, Tom was like, well, I knew, Ben, you were bad because we were bad. You were low energy. I had, like, <laughs> I had received some news that had put me in a low energy state. So I was like, I was like, shoot, like this, this, like, this news has actually worked against me in this game of Avalon. So I, like, I, was, I was in an authentic low energy state. By the way, everything's fine. That sounded way okay. scarier than it was. <laughs> everything's fine. I'm glad. But like, I definitely entered game night in a sort of distracted state, um, which, by the way, I have to say, it was so warming to come into game night and everyone's like giving me hugs, just like a normal thing. And it was just like, I really needed that like little bit of love that in that moment. And again, I'm saying everything's fine. But like going into game night, I was distracted. And so it worked against me, which was funny in, in that. So anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is that Jordan and I, we were called out immediately and it was just sort of like an unsatisfying way to spend 45 minutes. And so we were on going to game night last night. We're like, we're really excited to play Avalon because we just want to like, we want to fuck with everyone. You had a plan. Yeah. I, I brought, uh, you know, dark sunglasses and a hoodie. <laughs> yeah. Jordan was going to be like a poker player at a table. You had, Jordan, you had a Phil Locke look. Yeah. I had yeah. plans of how I was just going to like, just like troll the table or something. Yeah. And then we didn't play Avalon after all that. So. You had to get you had to get Matt in on your plan because I think if you had I was recruited to s- him to troll, he would have been you know he would have one hundred percent been in. But um, I was I, I'm still despite that it's more important to me that everyone at the group in the group in the, at the table is playing a game that they want to play. You know. Yeah. My my comment on Avalon is playing with this group. I think you need to protect. It's not as important to win an individual game as it is to protect the range of what you'll do if you're good or evil. You need to be self-interested. Even if you're good, you have to play a little shady so that when you're evil, if you're going to play that same way, you can hide. Mm. So my new strategy. I think is as you play the game more, you will you will change your stance on that. Oh really? Yeah, because I I think that um, the, okay. Here's my two my two cents. You know, based Avalon strategy basic is you're you're always doing an impersonation of basic blue, and so I think that like introducing some shadiness is going to work. A, against you what you actually want to seem is trustworthy and curious at all times like if there's a default and you're saying what's that poker default Mm -hmm. that default is basic blue it's curious i don't know i'm searching i don't have special information these are all lies because i literally have that react every time i'm good i literally have that reaction everyone's like well ben's obviously bad so this is all lies so i i try this is what you try for i've tried for that and i've failed and so i'm moving on to because i'm identifiable as shady no matter what i have to be jordan i I think you are now subscribing to the canon x school of wow smoke show 
Of smoke screen. Smoke screen. It's definitely smoke not smoke show. <laughs> <laughs> He's a handsome man. <laughs> He's very charming. He is adorable. Um, so anyway, that's so what, instead that's, of Avalon last night, we played. Well, you played Nucleum, Trey. Yeah, Trey. What did you think about Nucleum this this play? So this is my second play, first complete one, and I feel oh. like yeah, because I didn't make it through the first the first time right. that it happened, um, and so I got a a full teach from Matt, who is just fantastic at uh, at teaching board games, and I guess I I can get I get it now. I get the hype. Yeah. I, I still have my uh, quibbles. I was also like a sh- strange, drunken buffoon mm. bouncing through that game and somehow emerging victorious with, like, without even knowing what I was mm. doing kind of thing. So I don't I, – it certainly wasn't because of skill or understanding of the game. So I don't know if that's a, a positive on the thing. But I, I kind of get it. I do see – yeah, it's, it's like half barrage, half brass. That map to me is very intimidating at the beginning. The yeah. game feels incredibly tight. It, it's a big garish map also. Yeah. It's like this big – like it's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles-esque, right? It's like this bright green and purples. And orange, orange, yeah. It's like 90s. It's like I don't know what was going on with that map. Yeah, it's kind of power gritty – Whatever, but like at the beginning, it feels so tight, and I feel like your your hardest decisions are right off the bat. So it's kind of splatter esque mm-hmm. in that way a little bit, where I'm like, I can't do anything, and then later on, it opens up and you can kind of do anything. So it it's it's one of these weird when do you get over the hump uh, games, but it felt very intimidating at the beginning, and then somehow it worked out. But um, you know, I'll 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 continue to play it. I have a bias against games that I kind of think of as make 'em ups. Like that's the term mm. I use when you've kind of created some fantasy explanation for the mechanisms in your game. I do like it better <sighs> when we're kind of representing something real. I know, and I'm gonna so you're wait, gonna find you, perfect wait, examples saying, of how I'm hypocrite. Wait, are you saying that uh, power plants in an alternate? A t- history timeline that use special materials in Saxony is not <laughs> based a compelling theme for you. This, this, this does not recreate the growth of the nuclear power industry in Eastern Europe in the during the Cold War. You know, right. like I might have like, but also there's sometimes there's like a slight difference between like like in Barrage. Barrage also has some steampunk element which doesn't which, make any sense which makes no sense but yes. but i feel like it's so on the fringes it's literally just i think in the art really and the art and the and the flavor but the actual game is just like making yeah, energy but to me it. that's a negative like barrage is so good that you can look past that kind of steampunk nonsense right, but, that they tacked on but it feels more uh germane to nucleum i agree it feels more germane to nucleum because there's really you're using uranium to power nuclear energy plants i think the only fictional part of it is that supposedly it's the, the links, the, the, the time period. They didn't have rail before. But, I don't know. Yeah. Right, yeah. But like the nucleum, the yeah, the nuclear plants. Well, but this is why, like, for brass, brass works better for me because I feel like, oh, this actually does represent a certain phase of the right. um, industrial revolution and the tri- and the, you know, this move from you know moving goods by canals to trains and right. how these cities built up and it was all based on the cotton trade. Like all of that stuff feels like, mm, love that theme. Yeah, it totally. works works so well with the, with the mechanisms. And here we're we're make we're doing a little bit of a make them up. And and listen, I'm fine with. Plenty of make ups. Like we put stuff in space all the time to right. make it a make them up. Term Mystica. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's it, almost like there's a little bit too much real life in there and not enough. It's like either you go all real life, real drawn from real life theme, or you go something totally fake like a Terra Mystica. But if you have like 
some sort of weird hybrid it sort of doesn't maybe doesn't like land right let me put it this way when you're do when matt who's an excellent teacher of the game at the beginning of it is going to say here's what we're doing in the game here's the story i think in nucleum that's kind of a hard story to tell yes what are you what are you saying okay we're we're building out our roots and building buildings in order to generate power to kind of turn the lights on in these buildings and we get points for that right establishing like building mean, buildings and energizing them yeah i mean yeah I mean, that's well, what i'm saying way, I, that's actually not a cra- i mean if you were to say oh we are we are working in the power industry and we need to like create power infrastructure to turn so that way this but there's something like, something like power grid is a more straightforward story right we're expanding our power grid from city to city and yeah. generating power with different types of power stations you mm-hmm. know coal nuclear green you know like that thematically it's it's an easier story to tell I think it's a, I think Nucleum tells a better story though than Barrage because in Barrage, most, a lot of your points come from just building stuff. Oh, I built something and now I'm going to get seven points per turn. What is that really representing? You know what I mean? Whereas in Nucleum, almost all What does that in Barrage? What's the seven points per turn? I think that would make, I think that actually makes sense. The income on the fourth column of everyone's board has like seven points. Oh, the established. I think that makes sense. Well, you've established, you've established like an infrastructure. You've run power to certain resident communities. So that's a source of You have an influence in the political world because you've, but I mean, either way. The points come directly from, oh, I've energized this building. That's going to get me points. Yeah. You know, I can energize. You can get points for the energy and there's going to be points for the building later on. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. I have to say, I, so I've only played it once and I played a two player game. I think I mentioned it last week. I really like it a lot. Like I cannot wait to play it more. I want to play it three. I want to play it four. I want to play it a lot. I want to get a bunch of reps in, but that being said, playing Nucleum made me appreciate how good brass and barrage were. Did I say this last week? I can't remember it. I I never know. A little bit. Yeah. But like, it's, it just, as good as Nucleum is, you just see how excellent Brass and Barrage are, you know, like because Brass and Barrage just do what Nucleum does in such a cleaner way. You know, like Nucleum, there is like there's like a lot of stuff going on. And once you like learn the stuff, it's like fine. It's, it's great. such a tough standard to compare yeah. to yeah. those two. Right. right? No, like, it's, it's not it's fair. An, it's an but excellent it you... game. It's just not, hey, one of these all time classics. But those you know? two, those two games like came up with an innovative way approach to not approach to board gaming, but they just came up with innovative ideas. Like this is how, like, you know, in terms of networking, in terms of creating, you know, generating electricity as a concept or energy. And so Nucleum is really great, but it's, it's just, it's, it's not, it just, it's not those games. I agree. I've played now, I think five or six games of Nucleum and that feeling just gets stronger as you play more. Why am I continuing to explore this when I could go and play Brass and Barrage? For me, at least. Hmm. But I will say the one thing that I really love in Nucleum that makes the game more interactive and is a unique sort of aspect to that game is jointly building rail networks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brass doesn't really have that. Uh, Barrage doesn't have that at all. Um, And so I I really like that aspect. I think that's a really interesting piece. But other than that, I think there's... And also, like, ton to love, and also, like, the idea of like not only you're building rail networks, but that you are actually like destroying important, potentially important pieces of your, oh, yeah, no, the action tiles and using them for rail, like, that's brilliant. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really fantastic thing. And also, like, I didn't, I'm still learning to understand that game. There were times in that game yesterday where I was salty because I thought Chris was blocking me, and in fact, he was completing a rail, but he did it in such a way so that I didn't get a bonus. Mm. And I, I had this whole plan of how I was going to do it. 
myself mm. or whatever, but it felt like, oh, you're being, you're, you're actively playing against me. Why are you doing that type, type of thing? And it turns out it's like, oh no, that actually did help me. Yeah. And I had, yeah. and I had to apologize for my saltiness or come as close to an apology as I'm capable of. Yeah, I saw your rail at the end of the game, and I think it was like three or four cities long that you and Chris worked on together. And if you had to do that alone, it would have cost you like 10 action tiles. It would have been undoable. And it was a tempo thing because like we were both into Praga, which is like the main double score city early on, and other people weren't. So yeah, I th- and, and people me. are saying that the game is is a heads down or multiplayer solitary game, but it felt pretty interactive to me, and I felt like there's plenty on the board. And yeah. actually, in the game I did play, I was playing with my friend Guy, and he um he was not paying attention really to the map as much. Like he was doing, you did a great job. I mean, he, he beat me, he like killed me, but he wanted to go into certain cities. And by the time he realized he wanted to go in those cities, he realized, Oh, I had blocked him fully out of it. And that like, it's really important to actually make sure you get on those trains. Plenty of real estate. You have to like, to be grabbed. There's a huge amount of urgency with that map. And, and that, that feels very interactive. Yeah. I think the, the chief areas of interaction are, there are a few cities where it's like one or two ways in. And Mm -hmm. if those are blocked out of you, you're not getting into that location. And then also, one, the most advanced of each of the three types of buildings scores for every instance of that type of building within its network. Mm. And if you can shut down someone's network, uh, you'll cost them a lot of points. And I know that's mm. happened in a few games we've played where someone's been blocked out uh, and they lost maybe like 30 points, like a massive wow. quantity of points. And if, so if you can arrange to block someone like that, that's a pretty advantageous. Did you guys see that there's an expansion coming? Nucleum Australia? Yeah. That'll be that's coming down the pike. I don't know anything about it except that it's coming. You know, even if it's just a new map, that's always exciting. I'm sure that there'll be new. I'm. I'm I have to imagine there'll be new uh, sets of like projects, which are like the your technologies, because those are all asymmetric. Yeah, different map. So that would be great if there's if there's more. Because actually, one thing that surprised me was that there's only four sets of those, and I sort of expected that there'd be like tons of different options with the technologies like that, but there weren't. So I would not be surprised if we get more sets of those. We'll have the map, maybe some other little stuff. Yeah, there's some modules. Yeah, I yeah. want to play the game some more because that's. Well, I think we were we were flirting with the idea of talking about asymmetry a little mm-hmm. bit at some point on the podcast, and this is an example of like. There's some massive asymmetries in the player powers of that game. And like I, again, first plays, I don't know what other people are doing, but it did seem quite different. And it just made me wonder, like, is the asymmetry necessary so that the moves are not scripted and wrote? Like, mm-hmm. you, do you need that so that everyone's playing a slightly different game? Would it be so much more boring if the if your player boards were more balanced? Right. And, I, and I don't know the answer to that. I like when games have... Like you can all play from the same starting position, but there's also an asymmetric option. I like when there's sort of like I like when there's that option. You know, I think I just looked at the Australia page and it's going to include also a bidding variant for selecting your set of technologies. Okay, so if they're not to the extent they're not balanced, you can bid for them. Yeah. Well, when you've played one time, you're completely ready to bid for a set of tiles. Not quite yet. yet. (laughs) You can get there. Um, So while you guys were playing Nucleum, we played Horseless Carriage, which I was very excited about because I have not been able to play for months and months. I've been boxed out. I missed my window. But Jordan was extremely kind, even though Jordan has been dying to play Imperial Steam for many months as well. Like he's, I mean, you played it before, but you've been aching to get it to the table. 
uh, that you were like, you know what, like you, you brought Horsell's carriage and I felt like in, in many ways you did that for me. So I'm very appreciative. It's no problem. I was happy to get it back to the table. And yeah, I know you've been wanting to play it since it came out. Yeah. And, uh, you, you've never played it before. Right? I never played it except for, um, I had done like a, like two, th- like one third of a, of a, of a hot seat game mm-hmm. online. There's an online implementation, which is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was really fun. We played with Paul who, who also, also played never it. played it. So the three of us played, and um, I was just really glad to to see what this game was all about. It's an inter- such an interesting, like, strange game, right? right. Like, uh, the way it all works together, like this half polyomino uh, puzzle. Hard puzzle. Market. Hard, Hard oh, puzzle. Oh, like, I had read about how, like, so many people online were like, oh, my goodness. Like, part of this game is that you, the, the first thing you do is you just, like, you basically trip out the door. Like, you just you make a mistake right away. And I was like, it was left and right. I was making mistakes with my factory, but I mean, everyone's making mistakes. So, you know, it's all like who can weather the storm of their terrific, their terrible factory and like generate, you know, turn that into, you know, sales of, of cars. Right. It felt in our game because we're all relatively inexperienced players. Like we're trying to adapt our factory for the requirements of the market. But I think at a higher level, what you want the game to be is adapting the market to fit your factory best. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, competing with other players to adapt the market. Yeah, you can go either what way. What you already produce. Right. Right. But I think you you did a very beautiful job of reacting to what the market was going to shape up to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was really fascinating to watch, actually. Because um, you you created demand in certain areas that only you could fill. And you filled it for, like, uh, you were selling sports cars for, like, $8. That's the most you can get for a car. So you killed it. It was it was fun I, to watch. I actually no, I never sold a sports car for eight dollars. Uh, it felt like it was eight dollars, but it wasn't. <laughs> but I um I I was it was interesting because I really didn't know what to do, and I, for a moment there, I felt like I was falling behind because you guys were had were able to uh, produce more cars, and I was only producing one car, and then I had made I had boxed myself into a corner. And, um, they were, there were tons of trucks all over the market. And, and so Paul and Jordan were, were going at it with trucks, truck so, battle, truck battle. So I decided I would go at it. I was like, let me bring some sports cars into the mix. But on top of that, I had like, I don't know. I just, um, I just, I developed my technology in a way I, I sort of, I could see that there was going to be like these two aspects that the, the buyers would want that, um, I was already fairly high up on and that if I could just like keep plugging those, I could actually then I could service a market quadrant that um, neither of them would be able to service. And so therefore I developed that quadrant and then I serviced it. And as a result, because it was a higher up quadrant, those cars were worth the most, which also simultaneously brought your value, the values of the cars that you guys could service down a little bit. Right. Um, and then, yeah, it just, it just like worked out. It, it worked out that one, there's just one round where I just had like a huge amount of sales and then I was able to create some nice distance. And then after that, I was still fairly consistent with you guys, but I had just created that separation and then, you know, rode my dysfunctional factory to the end. Highly functional. Highly functional factory. <laughs> it was, I, I will say Paul and I built our factories too similarly. I think we, we had similar, uh, we had the ability to produce similar cars that had similar levels of things customers cared about. So we were fighting over the same demand. Mm, and that sounds good for Ben. Were, yeah, <laughs> right. Cars I, I, differentiated. I did. I did sport. And the thing was, there's you had a market I, I would, to yourself. Yep. 
yeah, I was able, there was always these like two sports cars that were popping up and I was just getting them. It was like $12 basically. And, you know, I had heard going into the game like, oh, this is a good splatter, but you know, it's not as good as the others because it's, it's, it's the most multiplayer solitaire. But I found I was looking at everyone's factories quite a bit. I was looking to see what you could produce. I could see what, see, see what specs you had on your cars. I was saying like, have they gotten to sports cars yet? Should I be worried about this? You know, um, can they, can they get into this quadrant? So I was definitely surveying the table more than I think people had led me to believe I would be. It feels like with Horses Carriage, there's just more separation, but there's more work you have to yeah. do to get to the place of interaction. You have to go through your own player board. You have to be able to analyze someone else's player board to really see where the interaction lies. Whereas with a lot of other splatters, it's it's right there. It's you know it's already a, a knife uh, fight. In a it's more in a common board kind of. Like, the knife fight in Food Chain Magnate is the map. Right. I mean, there's a certain amount of tech. Like, yeah. who's going to outprice other people? But at least it's, out, like, out in front of you. I love a good market. Yeah. Like, I think you yes. love a good market. Love a market. And I think this is the thing that I remember best about Horse's Carriage is the demand market in mm-hmm. the game, which I think is kind of brilliant. Like, yeah. it's it's expression of, here's the market for cars. You can kind of see where it is. That you see what people are looking for, and then you can kind of answer it. And you can, like you said, Jordan, you can you can shape it. Yeah. So that to me was the easily the most interesting thing because the puzzle aspect of your factory, tough puzzle, really high skill cap on that. I wish I could say that translates into fun for me, it, but it 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 feels like oh this is something I could easily spend thirty minutes on yeah. every, every turn. And in fact, when I played the game. Well, one time it was because I had printed out a completed factory from like a BGG thread mm-hmm. where I could start to plan things out because you do kind of like add a sector every time. So you have kind of almost like a clockwise or a counterclockwise mm-hmm. build to your factory of like, here's how you can put three things together. So like, is that cheating? Like there's definitely a lot of skill that goes into the factory puzzle game. Yeah. And ultimately, like that did not translate into fun for me. I think it's fascinating, but I was but it was also felt like, oh, this is killing me. And I can I can really ruin this on turn one, classic yes. splatter kind of situation to be in. But that that's just pl- the market, the demand market is very cool. Uh, but then again, like I think for some people, you end up with these kind of plastic squares that define you know what you can buy from mm-hmm. and that is in danger of being fiddly like it's uh, brilliant no, it's very fiddly but i mean that's it's it's i think it's neat i like Splatter's that. not afraid of fiddly yeah you know? i think that um i i think it's a fascinating game i can definitely see a lot of like emergent depth and strategy and interaction in it like it's definitely a game that probably rewards plays and um like it's cool how your player board um, you build your player board in order to satisfy the demand, but yes, you are trying to influence the demand to then that way service your player board. And I think that that interaction is really cool. And we were talking last night that like, you know, one of the reasons why I had this great round was because I went hard in, I went hard in, in on these two technologies and that like maybe with more plays, Jordan and Paul would have recognized that, that me having that good technology and seeing what was coming next was going to give me an advantage and so that they would maybe work together to have a different te- different aspect come out for the market instead of the one that came out for me which benefited me. So like I could definitely see there being you know interaction and cool stuff like that. I think the reason why maybe it hasn't connected with more people is 
I like with food chain magnet, that's very like it's very thematic. Like it makes sense. Like you make a corporate structure and then you sell, and like it's like, oh yeah, I made this organization and now I'm gonna sell food. Oh, but you're selling food too, and you have you have better marketing or you're cheaper or whatever. You you sold the food to me. Or like Indonesia also has similar, you know, you know, sort of very clean ideas about supply and demand. But here there's there is definitely an element of abstraction, which um may work against the immersion for a lot of people so i can imagine that like you know it's more like the connecting the dots of like what i'm doing here how that affects something there so i can imagine that's also why this horse's carriage has not been like as huge of a like people there have been a lot of people who've been like oh it's fine but i thought it was really fun i i enjoyed it quite a bit i think it's a work of art yeah I mean, I, I think I'm, I appreciate it more as like, look at these fantastic, interesting things it's doing. Does that actually translate into fun? It asks a lot of you. And it may just be mm-hmm. too hard for it a is lot really of players. Hard. You know, the questions it's asking are pretty demanding. I guess what I, what I was trying to say is that like, as you build your factory, I can imagine for some people, they still may not, it may not just be like a clean... A correlation between like me building my factory in this way is going to like have this impact on the market or or i'm going to be able to capitalize the market by you know it, i just don't know if like connecting those dots is as clean as with like food chain magnate and so therefore but there's a spatial like relationship doing things in service of something like if you don't see the the connection it might just might not be as fun for some people but i i enjoyed it uh you know, I feel like people aren't talking about it as much anymore, but it, it's, it's a super fun game. I thought they may be a, like one or two plays and done, mm-hmm. I think is yeah. a lot of people's experience. I don't think it's going to have that longevity. I mean, I really think it demands a lot of repeat plays to get to the place where mm-hmm. you can answer the questions it's asking and interact with your opponents. And I don't know if our group or a lot of groups are going to take it that far, which is kind of a shame. But for those groups who do really get into it, I think there's a lot to enjoy there. Yeah. Yeah, it was really good. What what's some other games you played recently, Jordan? I have played. Well, I've played a few games of Voidfall recently. Uh huh. So I thought I'd give a quick update. Yeah, what's the on Voidfall those. update? So I've played a few two and three player games. I know when last we spoke about it, we were analyzing how much interaction there would be, and I've come to accept that there will be very little interaction. Okay. Yeah, it's really just the aggression quotient on the scenarios doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't do quite enough. I find that at the end of the, the final era of the game, there might be a few battles over territories, and you can try and take 20 or 30 points from an opponent by taking one hex or something like that. But we have not reached a point, and I've probably played close to 10 games now, of your fighting at the end of the first era, for instance. But I find the puzzle of the card play and the puzzle of what technologies to acquire and sort of how to go about expanding your uh, your empire to be so enjoyable that I've sort of given up on the aggression requirement and I'm mm-hmm. still enjoying playing the game. Mm. And I'd say a lot of enjoyment. There's comes, a good engine there. It's a really good engine. It's right. super fun. And every scenario just feels so different with what technologies are on offer and what faction you're playing that there's, you know, there's, it feels to me like an endless amount to explore with mm-hmm. that competitive game. So I'm And you don't really need it. You don't it. need the aggression. No, I mean, when I sit down to play Voidfall, I'm going to try and play it at mostly two and occasionally three. Because four is too slow. Because four is too slow. And just enjoy the puzzle of building up my own empire 
And, you know, occasionally there'll be a center hex to, to fight for and there'll be some combat at the end of it. But it's really going to be more of a multiplayer solitaire fighting over a market of text, but otherwise doing your own thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was I, I think for me, what was just hard was that it was billed as a like a very Euro-y Twilight Imperium. And I just didn't feel like it was. You know? I think that's right. I don't think it is like that. I think when you're playing this, it's more akin to playing although it has even less interaction than something like Anachrony, which is another Mind Clash game where you're building your own sort of area Mm -hmm. and there might be a few resources that you're competing over. I mean, Anachrony has more interaction because it's worker placement, but the focus is on your own little board, your own little area. That's a bad comparison point. I'm sure there are others. Caverna, maybe. I don't know. I think this is a game I would have loved when I was 22. Okay. Because I think I still would have wanted the, the bashy parts at the end, because those are the games I was playing mm-hmm. sure. back back at that time, and like now, I don't think I enjoy those. I've talked about this. Like, I I love playing through the ages on against AI. I don't want to play against humans. Mm-hmm. Like, we're in a game of Agricola right now, and I just put a big block on Matt, and you know, you know, it felt feels bad. Sure. You know, like mm-hmm. I actually that's not something that I want to do. I get no pleasure from that. Whereas twenty two year old me would have been like. Yeah. yeah, and it's also right. been some of my reluctance to get into the eighteen, eighteen uh, XX right. field a little bit. Is the like I know the potential for strife in in that setup, and I I'm, I'm not sure I have a taste for it yeah. any, anymore. I think well, also there- like with with Voidfall, part of it is like. I think it was kind of billed as a fast 4X to a certain degree, but like the setup is not fast. The no. setup is lengthy, but the game is relatively quick. I mean, playing right. with two players, you could get it done in two hours probably. For a 4X, that's not bad. Mm-hmm. I will say, Trey, there are a bunch of low aggression scenarios that you might enjoy where you're just building up your own engine. Those are really good scenarios to play, you know? But like if we're going to play an engine game, let's play an engine game. Like this just feels yeah. like, to me, this is a weird platypus. I would have loved this platypus when I was 22. Mm. I'm not sure at 55 that it's that it's the thing I want. I don't yeah. know. I didn't, there's a lot of cool things there. Again, like I, I can understand when people say they love it. I totally respect that. Yeah. Like I, this yeah. is not a game where I think, Oh, you're crazy for, for liking that. I, I get it. It's just, it's a, it's a bad fit for me. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Same. Um, uh, although I have always, I have told Jordan many times, you know, like there was enough, there was enough like meat on the bones there that I did like that. I'd be, I said, I'd be willing to come back to it once the ideal, uh, scenario has been determined for for me. That's right. But then uh, part of me is also thinking like, am I really? Am I realistically going to come back? <laughs> Are to you going to be able to pull off the horseless am I going carriage? To, am I really going to? Because I've spent so much time talking about how I've really grown to dislike voidless voidfall, voidless fall. Uh, that I'm like, <laughs> do I have? Do I? If I'm being honest with myself, do I have an open? Do I have an open heart? And I I like to think I do, but I worry that I don't. You know, I think if you wanted to come back, you'd have to sit down with the expectation of we're playing a Euro. Yeah, we're not not playing a space game. We're just playing a a fun, uh, like a fun Euro. And then if you got into that headspace, you might enjoy it. Yeah. Um, So uh, another game that we played recently, Jordan and I played Boon Lake Artifacts, the expansion to Boon Lake. Um, How was that? It was interesting. I mean, uh, Jordan has uh, Jordan and I have played two games of Boon Lake together including this one. Uh, I've only played with Jordan. Actually, I've only played two games. Okay. I've only played with Jordan and so two player games. So my experience with Boon Lake has only been the two player, the two player version. Yeah. And yeah, I Boon Lake is an interesting one to me because I enjoy it. I like when we're playing it 
I feel like everything is there for like a game, like for a tremendous game, like for me to just love. And for some reason, I don't love it. There's like an X factor missing. But I'm like, I also feel like I could grow to love it. I don't know. It might be another Voidfall situation where it's like sometimes if that X factor isn't there for you, it's just not there and you can't force it, you know? But uh, but the the uh, expansion adds some interesting stuff. It speeds the game up, it, you know, because I think that was a criticism that a lot of people had of it, that the game took too long. Mm-hmm. And so it encourages, pe- encourages people to go quickly. You uh, no longer you you no longer can all sit in harbors on the board at the same time, so you have to move down the board faster. Uh, there's also which is the timer for the game, which is the timer mm-hmm. for the game, and then there's also uh, Boonlight, by the way, is Alexander Fister, and yeah, yeah. So uh, it also introduces like a lake, or is it a lake? It was like a pond. There's <laughs> a, a puddle. It's a puddle. A puddle. I, think it was, I think it was actually the actual Boon Lake, which was not present in the in the in the base game. Yeah, it's an interesting little module where you can walk around counterclockwise or clockwise and take certain steps, and then take the bonus of wherever you get to. Yeah, and reset your your marker because like certain actions, like if you if you travel swiftly down the river, you get free action. You get free. You get to walk. Walk along well, that was the lake. randomly determined, right? There, what lets you move along the lake? There's oh, was that random? Yeah, there's no, no, eight no. tiles. No, 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 no. There was there were tiles that when you did those things would give you movement around the lake. Oh, but, but also, also inherently, before. if anytime you move swiftly, you get these bonuses. And then it was actually really helpful because when you take the bonuses from this new sideboard, you um, those bonuses help a lot. And then it also introduces uh, this this the artifacts which are how did we get those artifacts again we the, had to have, oh sacrifice one, a boat yeah you sacrifice one of your resource generating boats yeah to put out like a little house on the map and you get one of i think the players plus one artifacts that are set up at the beginning of the game yeah these are like player powers kind of exactly and the player it gives you sort of an ace a little bit of an async quality the player powers and you have to they are powered by putting the vases vases are a resource that felt a little underused in the base game and so now there's like a another use for vases um with the artifacts and that was fun i mean i had a fun time playing it's just it's like once it's over it's like you just don't even remember it you know (laughs) yeah it's what a recommendation i feel like if you're gonna play a fister game this would be the one i recommend last (laughs) <laughs> that i've played but mm, yeah probably still, it was still fun to sit down and play it i just wouldn't i, I wouldn't want to explore it that much right yeah. i want to play sky mines i want to play more great western trail i just don't understand why boon lake does not pop for me like yeah. everything i like the tableau building the card play is fun the i i always enjoy i, I think the, the board placement where you, you put this down and then people can can capitalize off of what pieces you put on the board. I always find that stuff to be fun. And I just don't know why it doesn't like pop. I wonder if the stuff on the board is almost too simplistic. If there was like, if there were more interesting synergies that came for like, every time you put this building down, you can put a cow, like your cows or something. Kind of a signature thing in this is the action selection. Right. right. Which is also the action selection. I think is good. It's interesting. It's different. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a thing that's that's there. I didn't I didn't fall in love with it. I at, think at higher player counts it feels a little random because you want to be moving your boat further, mm-hmm. you moving your boat four. And if three people go and it so happens after there are three turns, your the action that you want to take is not in the top two or is even at the bottom where you'll lose two points if you take it. Right. Uh, bad luck. Yeah. Right. Like that's that. not great. Where the, where the game's kind of 
creating almost like random obstacles for you from you doing what you want to want to do. I also, I think the game, like I, I've not played the expansion. Um, it, I struggled to kind of, again, this is me like wanting the game to kind of like make sense or to approximate something. I didn't think it really did that in a way that, you know, great Western trail tells a couple of stories of mm-hmm. like driving cattle to the market and that map, that loop that we do, like Fister's famous for his loops. Here, the map is essentially like three different, it's not a loop, but there's three different stages of progression, kind of like when you go through the gates a little bit, but you've got that loop and you're delivering and you've got trains like that made that, that made a certain amount of sense of like, Hey, it's a cattle game in which we're like building out the West and, and, you know, doing a cattle industry and even Maracaibo, which frustrated me because you had so little control over when the turns would end, you know, because like someone could cause the, all of your plans to go awry because they raced to the end on a, on a given turn that at least was like, Hey, here's a map of the Caribbean and mm-hmm. you're kind of like building out your infrastructure and progressing through it. And you, that kind of, mm-hmm. that was an interesting narrative of what yeah. it was doing. And the mer and the boom, boom, lake one felt like, I don't, we're doing boats down a river. What, yeah, yeah. You know, what, like what, what are we doing there? Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's I, not the American West. It's not the Australian West. It's kind of like, because I think they want to dodge those like historical world. questions, sure, right? Sure, sure. Yeah. You know, they it's Westy. Westy. You know. It's, I, I wonder if maybe this is a case where like the X factor, I, I think the X factor probably comes from the board because the card play is fun. The card play is very reminiscent of Maracaibo. I love, I love Maracaibo, and I love the card play in that. I love everything. I'm, I'm not annoyed that the loop gets cut off early. It's, I mean, it's annoying when it happens, but I'm not annoyed at the game. I'm yeah. usually annoyed at the. You know what you're getting into me. with that, yeah. But I think, like, you know, I wonder if maybe the the stuff that you put out on the board on, um, on, on Boone Lake, like it might have a little bit of the FIAM effect where it's like pieces that go out there in order to get victory points, you know, as opposed to like what you, when you put the pieces down, they don't like necessarily create an engine for you. Do they create an engine for you, Jordan? I'm trying to remember. They do create, some of them create monetary income and some of them create point income. But the actual like board position doesn't matter tremendously. That's your kind of fail well, question, right? Only for the cows. For the, the cows, cows have to be adjacent to certain settlements. Well, Let's say like right. we just compare, compare this to Nucleum for a second, where people complaining there's it's two heads down. The actual map's incredibly interactive. Like yeah. where where your network is and how you can be blocked and how you connect to power stations is deeply meaningful for everyone involved. And I think Boone Lake's on the other side of that spectrum where you know, the, the I mean, map you care, is you care where people are because there are certain things like you have to if you want to grow a settlement into um, like a larger piece of wood, you have to be around three, <laughs> whatever the next, <laughs> yeah. whatever the next rest level my case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like it's like a town, like it's you have a, to be like around a, certain pieces. You have to be around certain pieces in order for that to happen. There's also an income thing where when you do income, three of the four regions will will score income, and if all your pieces are in the one region, yeah. that's not scoring income. That's bad. But generally speaking, you're right, Trey. The, the map is not as important. In it's not as game. dynamic and and exciting as other map games are. Also, I have this thing just in general with games that have incomes which is like if you're going to give me um income opportunities i want several of them and that's not just boon lake underwater city is one of my favorites of all time you only get to do income what two or three times mm. i want if you're going to give me income give me like you want that loop i want that loop that's why i think yeah. actually one of the reasons why terraforming mars is so successful is that you get to run your engine 
many times, right. like 12, 13, 14 times. And I think that is a, a deeply satisfying thing that you work on something and you get to reap the rewards many, many, many times rather than just like a, you know, at the end of the quarter. Yeah. And how many generations you play in that game is somewhat player decision, right? right. Of like you, people can speed things up. People can slow things down and in it's thoughtful. In the generations There's, of the game, yeah. And so in the in the terraforming Mars, the the latest Kickstarter that they had, that one of the maps that they put out is I forget what it's called, but it's like there, it's like an epic map that may have even started out as a fan map, and um, it I think it moves all the requirements. The, it takes takes more work for all the requirements because the thing is, they say you can basically play in God mode. That's what they call it because you have now your engines are out of control good. And usually that's around when, you know, Terraforming Mars stops. Most engine games, the moment you get in, like you have this beautiful engine, you don't really get to live with that beautiful engine for very long. So it looks like this new map lets you just live in that space for a long time, <laughs> which I think speaks to the fact that people enjoy that. They enjoy being able to just have, like, give me all the power, you know? Yeah, the ramp up is a is a question. Different games have different ramp ups, and, and yeah, Nucleum is a great example of. It feels like that it's so tight at the beginning, but then it it by the end of the game, it's like I got tons of workers, I got tons of money, I can do anything. Like, yeah, it would never have envisioned that after the first round. I'm like, oh, how do I get one more coin? Mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I don't know. The, the ramp up is a thing. You know, like it's fun. I feel like some games that do the ramp up really well, like I love Agricola. Yeah, like that's an interesting ramp up. Mm -hmm. You know, the way that... Yeah, but you just never think you could... I think actually a fascinating ramp up where you just think you will never make any money ever or any income at Arkwright. Arkwright, <laughs> you are like... You're just losing money. You're like, well, how how can I ever how can I ever turn the corner on this game? And then somehow by hour four, you are finally making like $100 that's on right. something. Couldn't Aura too has quite the ramp up. Oh, yes, yes. That's which, true. Actually, know. it has a big ramp up. It's a big ramp up. Which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah. Um, Trey, another, do you have any other games you wanted to talk about? Not really. We, uh, I think we're, we're playing some more Agricola. Yeah. You know, we're back to the classic. I think Matt wants to get Jordan to start playing more seriously because he would like a, a core group of people that like want to play. I would like to play it more seriously. I'm, we played one game this week on Tuesday. We're playing a game on BGA right now and I've really enjoyed both games. I love the draft mechanic. It's such a great game, just one I've never explored deeply. So I'm hoping that we stick with it. Yeah, there's a right, there's a reason why it's Matt and my favorite game, and so I think he's like, I I think we can convert Jordan. Yeah, I think we, so. Yeah, you know, so that's so that's going on. Mm -hmm. um, but we're fun. like even Agricola, like yeah, there there's it, there can still be salt. Yeah, you know, which so I'm, I'm after fine. all this time, you're still having a well. It doesn't take moments. it doesn't take much for me to have an emotional moment. Um, I wish I were more, but like mature. it's a worker placement game. I mean, right? Like, you know, no one's no one's owed any space, right? I I'm a party to this suit, so I don't feel like I can speak. <laughs> I would say maybe there's a difference between oh, we both want this space, and oh, you need this space, so I will take it to hurt you. Oh yeah, which I think both are valid moves in Agricola, but they feel a little different. Yeah, not that I'm the expert, especially I guess if you're playing out a high level. Yeah, which is, and, we're not necessarily doing at all. Yeah, I'm certainly not. Um, Jordan, what about you? I mean, I'm, I'm seeing some of these games that you played. I feel like there's lots of interesting stuff for you to talk about here. What's give, give us another, give us another game that you want to tell the people about. Hmm. It's difficult. I've played, uh, yesterday friend of the podcast, Jason and I played two games that for me were lost to history for a while. There were Trismegistus mm. and Anno 1800. We played them both two player 
and they're they're very interesting games. Uh, Trismegist. I know Trey has some thoughts about Trismegistus as well, but Trismegistus is like one of the T games from. Well, it's not. It's from Tashini, I think, and it is uh, perhaps the most maligned of them. <laughs> it has become the. I've never played it. I don't even know. I've even. I don't even know what it looks like. But uh, just from listening and being a part of this podcast in this group it has become like the poster child of like a terrible game but you know what not not terrible game but uh broke design okay i think it's become shorthand and i I may be to blame here which and again like literally literally we'll go to a restaurant and try like i don't know what i want to get this is like tristan justice (laughs) (laughs) and people know what i'm talking about so it's it's an effective summary of things but yeah i mean i think i've already articulated how i like my games to have some thematic sense so when you're in the realm of the alchemist who is converting i don't know what is it like gold diamonds into purple stones like i've already forgotten exactly but you're you're you know it's alchemy you're you're converting one resource to another and yeah you're you're filling out a grid and so i will say i found that part of the game actually to be somewhat thematic in that alchemy is kind of like you know bs conversion of resources that's what alchemy (laughs) is exactly what it is that's exactly what the game is so it emulates that well whether you want to partake in that is an entirely different question altogether but I found the game very, very taxing, very hard to play. Really? You have to plan really In a good way? In our- I, I was finding some of the decisions fairly, like, fairly interesting. I mean, the dice that you're taking matter in five or six different ways. It's combo-tastic. It's combo-tastic. Mm. It's really... It's really if you're heavy. not if you're not stringing these things together and this tr- creates this which creates this which creates this like right. then you're not doing it right right and you know you got to be like working towards these end game scoring cards that you have to meet certain requirements to even score and they're very difficult to meet like I, I drew maybe six of those over the course of the game and I was able to score two uh, they're really really hard to to accomplish so that felt rewarding it was it was a pretty fun play it's not my favorite game it's not one that i want to return to repeatedly but i was pleasantly surprised mm-hmm. jason had been wanting to play it for a while so we brought it to the table and i was pleasantly surprised you're just like a a charitable gamer this weekend well, servicing well, you're, you're young and you're young and open-minded yeah i suppose and then i wanted to play anno 1800 that was the one i wanted oh, to bring okay. to the table so right. i guess it was a trade and I that game back. was was Less enjoyable than Tristan Justice, I think, for both of us, which is, I think, probably interesting. Surprising. Wow. But it, it felt very repetitive because the whole game, you're just building new industries and playing new cards. And it's kind of a race, but the, the there's no arc to the game. It's just, okay, I'm building another resource. This time it's blue. In an hour, it will be purple, but who cares? Like, you know, it's you're just building more little tiles and, and playing more cards. And every resource feels exactly the same in that it is a requirement for some other resource but you know when you get a there's some thematic tie in like oh you need a machine gun to build a level three combat boat or whatever but you know it, at the end of the day the machine gun is just a tile on your board with a picture of a machine gun on it machine wow. gun or cannons probably cannons the level two ship it's not maybe it's not a machine gun but it's it's a, an elevated cannon okay a metal cannon I I like Anno. I've got a few quibbles with it. I'm wondering whether it's a game that's that's not going to work at two, because some of the most interesting questions about that game are at like the four player count, because multiple people can buy the same text, Mm -hmm. which is actually something where 
if two people buy the same text, it's actually kind of bad for both of them, which is a dynamic that we're probably going to revisit here in Cut Nahora, mm. where you know the, you have these weird alliances of, hey, when you double up on the thing I build, it actually kind of hurts both of us because it can be an income stream when you're providing the tech for another person to build off of. There's a there's an interesting mm. tech growth thing that may not be fully realized until you get to a three or four player count game. It might feel more zero sum at at I'm two rem- yeah because you're often making a- decision of like once you've got that split of like oh, well this guy can make you know tanned hides and someone else can make tanned hides i'm making that up that may not even be a thing in the game but like i can spend a coin to one of them so i can use it to do my thing uh well i don't want tom to get this so ben here's a coin right. like there was some of that and but for other times like you're the only person that has tan hides i don't know there was some interesting stuff that that came out of just the tech tree i think that's an amazing tech tree in that game and it sounded like it did not feel that interesting it felt repetitive in marching through it whereas I'm, in the four player the, mo- the the multiple routes might create opportunities for i remember now, now that you play. say this cuz i think i said last week that i'd like anno but i don't i didn't I didn't love it as much as everyone else in the group, yeah. but I do remember that my first play was two player and then the subsequent plays were three or four players and two player was a hundred percent the weakest. Like, I don't know. I seem to remember thinking at the time that it shouldn't even have a two player option because everyone can just get all the tiles, right? Like whatever tile you need, you can just get a two player, right? Well, well that's right. There's no scarcity. There's yeah. no scarcity. And there are two of each tile, but at the same time, it's still a race. So you can't it's get every tile. True. You can't, but there was, but at least with the, with the, uh, you never get three or four out. player. There's, yeah. there is, there was like a scarcity element that I responded to more. Mm. Uh, but I also was not playing at the level you're describing of like, you know, that deep level. Well, but like, either way, I think our group tends to gravitate towards stuff that, that creates interesting social interactions yeah. in plays. And that felt like one of them. Yeah. yeah. You know, speaking of uh, social, interesting social interactions, a game that I would like to talk about, unless there's something you were about to say about Anno. No, go for it. But um, I, a game I, I want to talk about is one of the last games that I have to, to discuss is wild catters, which came out many years ago, sort of re- released by, uh, by, by capstone. If I were a better podcaster, I would have, the years and designers and to- i would have maybe chimed in with any information on any of the games we've been talking about this keep vamping keep vamping <laughs> but anyway wildcatters is Walt Sagal and andre spill right who did coffee traders same ah, designers yeah. as coffee traders gotcha uh this is a game that i was initially drawn to after watching rado's um run through of it because i was fascinated by the idea of like everyone at the table is playing a part in uh the logistical nightmare or not really a nightmare but just like a logistical uh you're wildcatting supply supply chain of oil uh, oil yep and basically in the game we're all oil maybe companies we're all oil companies and wildcatters well we're actually not wildcatters no you're not okay you're, you get of, wildcatter tokens yeah it's sort of funny that we're it's called wildcatters but um we're not wildcatters what you do is you go to different continents and you dig for oil and everything and then as you become successful you can actually just buy out the the, the wildcatters just like the independent you gobble you drink their milkshake yeah you do drink their milkshake okay. and so um it's 
But what's interesting about the game is, like coffee traders, there's a lot of if you do this action, then we can all follow. And like following is like it feels unfair that they all follow for free, but you have to pay something to do it. But then when they all follow, you get certain benefits, and you turn that benefit into this, into that. You build your oil rigs, you turn your, you, you build your pump jacks, you build trains to transport your barrels of oil, you build uh, refineries to refine the oil, you build boats to move. So you the played oil this finally this week, or you played it before? I have played it before. But about uh, but recently, I played it with Paul and um, our friend Stacy and her boyfriend John, and had not played it in forever. Right, and um, it's we had a really a tremendous time. It Great. was it's such a strange game. It has a weird tempo. It's it has a little bit of the thing that I was talking about with horseless carriage, which is that you're sort of doing stuff, but sometimes it's not always clear why. Hmm. And it's actually. It's actually even more prevalent in Wildcatters because you're, oh, it's like, oh, cool. I built an oil rig. Oh, I'm moving my oil my oil around to a different, I'm taking it to an oil refinery and I'm getting some shares by doing that. But you're like, but why? Why am I doing this? And I always describe the game as like an elaborate game of Plinko because you send your oil, <laughs> you send your oil through all these things. It comes from here, it goes here, it goes on a ship, it goes on a train and it goes to someone's refinery. And then ultimately your little barrel of oil winds up in a section of the board that's like, hey, you serve, you, you, you provided oil for Africa. You provided oil for Europe. And at the end of the is game, that the market, yeah, so like, the market. Yeah. And like at the end of the game, oh, whoever provided the most for this market gets six points. Second place gets. Four so there's points. an area control. It's just like okay. area, it's just yeah. like an area majority, majority at the end of the game. Yeah. But you just have to go through this elaborate process. But what I really enjoyed about it was, as the game, as we went through the game, as we go round by round, it becomes clearer and clearer to us how all these cogs work together, and what had once seemed very opaque right suddenly becomes uh fascinating and you realize how you can pull the different levers and stuff this, and then this sounds like my jam this is modeling a real thing it's uh, actually and i love that part of it but yeah. what was really cool is that by the end we're all like making discussions like why don't you take the oil to my refinery because if you take it to john's then um he has to like he's going to do well on this market it's like oh but uh, but then this person i think i can make them force them to take a loan by taking the stuff to their market so my that sounds like way, a really interesting space to be in, right? Yeah, but it has a but you do spend the first few rounds saying like it doesn't you don't get the tingles. You're sort of just been like I, can't, I just feel like I'm doing stuff. I wonder if that would happen though if you played again soon. Right? Exactly, like past experience. I think it 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 would not because when I initially got the game, the first I remember the first time I played it, same experience, and then I played it very quickly after, and it was much more fun out the gate. Right. Um, but this was still by far the best of all the experiences I've had because ultimately the reason why I brought this up on the heels of what we we're just talking about was that it created a lot of tabletop conversation, mm -hmm. it created a lot of like back and forth negotiating and discussion, and it was like. When someone like you get forced into taking loans in this game, and it, you just, just everyone sort of like laughed, you know, because if you have to pay, there's certain things that happen where you're forced to pay, you're forced to pay other players, and if you can't pay them, you have to take a loan. So people will intentionally do things. If they <laughs> to deliver, force you into if they deliver oil to your refinery. You have got, to buy it, right? Yeah, yeah, you have to buy it, so you have to pay. It. And then if you can't pay them, you have to take a loan, and the loan is prohibited. But then I was like, you know what? I've got loans. I'm going to play with it. It was, it just was really fun. It was a really fun experience to have this game that I was like, I haven't played this game in a while. Like, do I even still like this game? And then have like a really, uh, really delicious social experience out of it. Coffee traders has gotten better with plays mm -hmm. for me too. you know, like 
these, I think I've, Wildcatters is on my list of like, I've always wanted to play it and I've always heard like good things. There's always like good things, but, and, and I, yeah, but it's a wonky, it's an imperfect game. It's a little mm-hmm. wonky. It feels like it could be tighter or it feels like, yeah. I mean, you've played it, Jordan. It's you, been a while, but I have played it. You own it. I do own it. Uh, I like it. I don't, I think I prefer copy traders, mm-hmm. but I've played copy traders a lot more recently. So yeah. It's hard to say. Paul Paul seemed to really enjoy it. In fact, when we were at your house, Paul said, he was like, I would love to play Wildcatters again. That's true. So it's, it really seemed to connect with him. Yeah. Which was, I would happily which was try it again. I think it's an it's an interesting design for sure. It is. At the very least, it's an interesting design. Yeah. I just love, honestly, I love games. And this is, this could be a segue unless anyone has other games to talk about. But like, I do really enjoy games where everyone plays a different part in a, an economy of of the game. A larger system. of a larger. Yeah. It's yeah. why I really love like hegemony, etc. Like right. I love when we all are like a part of a ecosystem. Mm-hmm. I'm going to interrupt the segue though. Oh please, <laughs> for, two, for two quick bits I'm, of news. I'm a big segue interrupter myself. So okay, please. I won't feel bad then. No, don't never. First, I just wanted to. I don't know if you guys mentioned this last week, but BGA has this Games of Winter event going on right now, Board Game Arena, where every day they're releasing a new game for all of December and so far in beta or is it released or is it i don't think it's in beta i think they're just, it's just like surprise like surprise we've been working on this yeah and so so far included among the releases have been hanamakoji and yokai septet both of which are great games mm-hmm. um and i think uh sea salt and paper was also recently added i'm not sure if that was part of the same event but, sea salt and paper yeah okay sounds like a restaurant doesn't it sound like something that would be in la like sounds delicious. It's like a hot, a hot new card game. <laughs> it sounds like it's in the arts district of LA. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. I can see that. Um, so those Dimitri's are now- already been there. <laughs> it was very good, but I didn't understand what the menu was about. Whoa, where did Ben just go? <laughs> <laughs> Dimitri has been here the whole time, just waiting to talk about a restaurant. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he did it. So, anyways, I think that's worth checking out. And the second thing is uh, Matt, in his recent solo mode episode, talked about Earthborn Rangers. Mm. I've been streaming that with my friend Brandon on his YouTube channel, Optimal Play. I think we're up through day six. So, if you want to see that game played, uh, you can check out our streams on, on YouTube. Uh, on YouTube. Optimal Play, yeah. Optimal Play. That's the name of the channel. So okay, you, Optimal yeah. Play on YouTube. Optimal Play, Earthborn. Check the show notes for a link. Check the show notes. Yeah, my friend Brandon and my friend Drew and I have been playing through it. It's been really fun. So great. Worth worth checking out. So you're recording this and playing it back, or, or can people watch live? So most of the sessions we've recorded, you can watch live, and then they're later posted to be uh, watched. Sure. Occasionally, we've not streamed, and we've just recorded the video and then posted it. But usually, we stream on Wednesdays. So I think this Wednesday, probably, okay. we'll stream day seven or day eight, wherever we are. At the and day. recommend? You're really... Digging? I'm not, I'm not going to recommend our stream. No, the that game. Might be boring, but the game I really enjoy. It's a, it's an interesting take. <laughs> it's streams. Crap. Streams. Oh, streams. I mean, we, no, we put out no, terrible no, no. content. The stream is good. I just, I, just don't, I just don't want to say, you know, oh, you know, you really, you know, if you're not interested, it's, it's you know, maybe not worth watching. But it's, it is really fun, I think. I think we have a good time We've doing We found it. somebody who's worse at promoting I'm their sorry, own podcast yeah, really than me. <laughs> no, it's if great. If you want to see it's, some it's actually, terrible playthroughs on Wednesday. The channel's great. We do a lot of really fun playthroughs. Um, the if you have low standards. Of, of card games. So there's Arkham Horror, there's this, we're going to do Sorcery, Lawyer Up, a bunch of different card games are streamed on Optimal Play, and they're all great streams. Brandon's does a great job putting it all together. The game is really fun. It's like a looser Arkham Horror that's more of an open world and 
focused on exploration, but I don't want to spend too much time talking about sure. it. I'll just say I've really enjoyed it. And if you want to see it played, Optimal Play is a great yeah, place to do it. We'll, we'll check it out. Well, I mean, I know we have actually a ton more games that we have played, but we probably should move on to Cutna Hora. Sure. So uh, Cutna Hora, uh, it's a game we've talked about it over the past few episodes. We sort of, teased we've it. Teased yeah. it. We've we've sort of shown a little bit of its cleave, um, but it's a it's a new game from Czech Games Edition. Designers are oh my goodness, this is a combination of of words that are difficult for me to say, and also my eyes going. Okay, Andrej. Uh, Bystron, Petra, Koslava, Pavel, Jarosh are the designers, artists. Step, I'm just doing this really to test. This. Can I really say these names? Uh, and apologies, by the way, to the people who worked on this game. Stepan Jarostok, David Jablonovsky, Jacob Jablonovsky, yeah. Jacob Pulitzer, and Milan Vavron. 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 Um, so um yeah this is the big new check games yeah game. Trey, do you want to they tell were us they were about? definitely promoting it heavily at bdg con um very excited about it okay so concept is this is based on an actual city historical city in czech republic now yeah. chechia okay that's what it's going on i'm still a child of the cold war so i always want to czech say czechoslovakia but it's yep. not um but this is you know, so it's Katnohora, the city of silver, and this is kind of a city builder in which we are both growing the city of Katnohora as we expand out its mines, and its mines produce both ore, and, uh, silver, and coal. Or I silver. Think the, the mines just produce ore. I think it's ore and coal. But when we say ore, ore, and ore and silver, it gets we turned mean, into silver, fine silver, because I think this was like oh, it could be silver, refined. Okay, I think in real life this was like a silver. A silver cap. Okay, so you get the ore and then you smelt it. Okay. Have you ever been to Prague? There's like a lot of silver there. They sell a lot of silver. I saw some stat that said Kutnohor produced 30% of Europe's silver at one point. Wow. Um, But it's a city builder. And Ben, you love a city city builder. builder. And so we are all kind of like representing muckety muck factions uh, (laughs) that are building the city. Make them up factions. Muckety muck. Muckety muck, make them up factions. And there are six guilds. In the game, and these six guilds actually represent like the six kind of buildings that you can build in the game. And you, Mucky Muck Ben, um, you I own. A, I am a. I am a. I'm a resident of this city who has is gathering political Sir power. Muckety-muck. I'm not a Mucky Muck faction. I'm someone who's trying to. Mucky Mucks are important. Prestige and. But of these six guilds. Ben, your muckety muck control has access to three kinds. So there's only three kinds of buildings that you can you can build, and everybody has a combination of three. I'm in, I'm in three guilds, You're and in because guilds. I'm in three guilds, I am now entitled to build buildings of for fellow members of my guild. That's right. And so everyone has kind of asymmetrical access to the types of buildings in this game. And over the course of the game, we are both expanding out into the mines and kind of getting increased mining income, and also we're going to score those mines at the end, but we're also building the city. Uh, We have a kind of a competitive city builder in the center in which as we build the buildings, we are kind of like serving the needs of the town. Perhaps we are making beer for the town. Perhaps we are making food for the town. Perhaps we are generating wood for the town or documents or whatever. The, yeah. Well, cause it's, know, it's like, uh, because it's also very economic. Cause it's not just like, Oh, we're going into mines and we're building a town. It's like, the idea is that this is a, a real place 
that prospered because of its mining. And so as we mine, it's a collective we're, effort. We're creating it's a collective effort. We're creating wealth that can then be turned into business in the town. And then some of us are in control of different businesses, and we build those businesses out. Those businesses bring more population into the town, which affect you know what people want and how much you can charge for things and those and then you go and you dig some more in the mines and you bring more wealth and yada yada so there's like it's a city builder but there's also an element of like an evolving ecosystem in the city that's right and Vaguely. so to win you were the person who kind of like contributed most to the the growth of the city yeah and possibly what's the most fascinating thing about this is the kind of market that you were talking about there's like as we build buildings we are affecting this this expanding market because they're tracking both on a generic level they're tracking like how developed is the mine and like what is the population of the town Mm -hmm. so as the population of the town grows its demand for goods goes up as when you supply those goods you're going to make a lot of money from that but also you've increased the supply so the value of those goods goes goes down. down and the way that they track this in the game I think is really innovative and interesting, which is kind of this card system with a sliding with sliders on it that can kind of track the town's contribution to certain goods as the city is growing. And in a sense, it's kind of like an expanded spreadsheet, but it's done in a very clever, trackable way through a card system. Yeah. It's almost like if you had a spreadsheet and if like on every row, the spreadsheet said, Okay, uh, this is what the uh, this row says. The demand for wood, or the, the wood will sell for five dollars, and silver will sell for six dollars, and beer will sell for three dollars. Whatever. Let's say like that's what the spreadsheet says. And then, oh no, more people came into the town, so we go to a new sheet on the spreadsheet that has. Okay, let's revise that and change those numbers. So when you say oh, there's a card system, we literally take a card out of a holder and put it to the back, yeah. and now we have revised numbers that reflect. The, the 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 prices for all these goods that we're using and that yeah. range might be from like the population starts at one and could go all the way up to like 40 40 yeah it's 40 something you know yeah, yeah um right. so that's like a big thing is like you're you are building the city theoretically you're also building a cathedral because why not um was it saint augustus or something no saint santa barbara santa barbara sorry barbara, yeah. santa, santa barbara, barbara. Um, so you're, you're basically, as you build the city out, you are affecting this market. And that's like, I think the big shtick of the game. I mean, there's other stuff and it's all done by the way, with card driven card. You want to talk about Jordan? You want to talk about the card action selection? Sure. So you have a hand of six cards and each card has two actions on it. And you're going to play five of them over a course of the round. I think you have two actions that will allow you to build a new section of the mine, Two that will allow you to plot a new location in the town that you're going to build in. Uh, Two that will let you um, sort of reserve a building plan to build in the future. Two that will let you build. And two that will let you get income, which we'll talk about in a second. And then one that will let you contribute to Santa Barbara and one that's a wild. The cathedral that's being built in the center of town. Right, exactly. And so, but all these cards are, uh, all these pairs of actions are on cards. And if you play a card for one action, you can't use it for the other. Um, So you'll sort of play through five five cards over the course of a round and you'll play five rounds that's right I th- you, you said it really quick there so like each of these action cards has two actions on it where if you invert the card flip it upside down like you're choose every time you play a card you're choosing which way you're going to use it right. so whenever you play a card you're actually eliminating another choice at, right. the, at the same time which makes for an interesting and often difficult set of sequencing right. in your hand right and while you do have a wild action 
there is a cost to using it. Hurts your reputation. Hurts your reputation. That's right. And then we also have our own player boards, which are everything is sort of like intertwined. Like, you know, the player boards reflect what guilds you're in, but the guilds where you put you, when you set up your player board, the guilds will then uh, establish as you develop that guild will establish what sort of bonuses that you get over the course of the game. And then you also have a reputation track where, you know, as your reputation goes up, you get certain perks, but then you can also spend reputation to do things in, in the game. And it's all about kind of like balancing all these all these elements. That's sort of like a nice, I think, overview without getting too granular about how the game works. Essentially, a city builder with uh, like an economic market with some card play. One thing I want to maybe highlight, because I, I think it can get overlooked, is the kind of brilliant thing they do is that despite this game having the resources of wood, food, beer, yeah. all of these different things. You never actually have these pieces. You never actually track them. It all comes down to money, mm-hmm. which I think is actually quite elegant. You know, if you have built a tavern, you're making beer for the city, which you will sell essentially when you take your your income and that's going to convert to cash. So you can always kind of like do what you want to do as long as you have the money, which mm-hmm. I think is a great way of eliminating the kind of token mania that has overtaken many games. My beloved Agricola, for example, you know, like, yeah. you know, you're token, token, token in your, you're tracking what people have in their inventory. There's no inventory here. You right. just have money. That's incredibly elegant. And, and I think that, that, that also, that sort of is a good segue into just the presentation of the game and how it looks is that it is actually in some ways many, very streamlined because you don't have little resources for, there's a ton of resources in this game, but you don't have a little bits for them. Everything is a straight conversion. You know, if you want to spend wood, if wood costs $3 a pop and you you need to build, spend three wood to build a, a building, you're spending $9. Right. And by distilling player holdings into only money, it ties the players more closely to the market. Because if the value of wood fluctuates, you don't have wood. You need to buy it. And if the value of wood goes from two to three and you're building an eight wood building, that's eight more dollars you need to have. It's massive. Yeah. So, you were affording it at 16. You're no longer affording it at 24. Exactly. That's a really excellent point. It really does put the market even more central to it. You're really constantly thinking about you, the, the market and the things you need to buy and how much it really costs. Cause yeah, you just don't have, you don't, you never have it. Right. You never have and on stuff. the income front too, when you produce, you're just getting money. And if you're producing beer and beer is valued at seven and you produce five beer, uh, that's going to be a lot different than if beer was valued at three. Mm-hmm. Right. I think visually this game, before we get into all the stuff that we like and dislike about it, et cetera, I think visually, uh, I find that the game has a very clean appearance. Um, I appreciate, I think the iconography is, is pretty good. And I appreciate that the player aids, uh, cover all the iconography. I think actually the player aids are really good. Like everything you need is on them. I wish we had more player aids that were like that. We're just like, this is what every single icon is. But right. luckily there's, there's not so many icons that you need like a menu, like in some games. Um, so I really, I appreciated the way the player aids, look um what did you guys think visually about the game jordan i like the game visually i think the tiles have a really interesting aesthetic where they have uh you know on the front all the information you need to build the tile and all of the effects of building the tile but once you're done resolving that you flip it over and it's a very clean picture of the tile all it has on it is a picture of the building a little icon that tells you which guild it came from and the um, very little 
Very little. That would be where my criticism is. It's actually like once you flip the tile, I have sometimes saying like, okay, how many beer producing buildings are there out there? And it's not, and it's like, so I'm looking for a specific sigil then that doesn't even really say, it's not even like yellow or is it yellow for beer or whatever. Mm. I think I agree with your basic assessment. Like this may not be the most beautiful game, but for the most part, it's very clean in in what it, in what it does. And so I, I think I have a tiny quibble about once you've flipped the tile, I'm sometimes struggling to interpret the board in its completed state, mm-hmm. but that's like my only... It doesn't, I really, get in its, it doesn't get in its way, I think, overall. Right, right. I really like how it looks. And you can always find that information, how many you know breweries are there on the uh, the market tracking that's deck right. card. It keeps track of that. Right, which um, on your first play, you may not understand, but you can always say like, wait, how many beer producing? Well, the, the little slider's been moved twice, so we know there's been two beer buildings mm-hmm. that have been built. So right, know, right, right. My, my only quibble visually is my it's like an ongoing quibble I have with most city builders, which is that I like my city builders just to look like actual towns when we build them. So like there are these there are nice pictures of these buildings once you build them, but they just are like floating in in like a silver background. Yeah. Right, and right, like, right. I would like it to put some roads, make it look like you're actually building it. You town. want it to kind of um, I like a visual expression of the you, yeah. You know, I I want it would it would have even been great if you when you look at it you can sort of see how the the town is developing and you can create sort of stories about it a little bit more. And it's not really, it's not a drawback. It's not, I would never say don't buy the game because it's like not an immersive visual representation of a city, but I do, I do think it's, you can only be helped. I know I won't say that. I won't say you can only be helped with more immersive design because you could get too busy and yeah. be, but I think that this game, it just would have been lovely. It would have been so lovely if, you really could see the the town developing um, as you build it because it really and it is looked immersive. more like a town at the end. It's yeah. very immersive in so many other ways. That's fair. If I think what you're kind of looking for is almost like the Carcassonne effect, Carcassonne. where the tiles all match, where like yeah, maybe the building occupied a little bit less space, but it creates a landscape and how they link together. At the yeah, end. the think... orientation of the buildings does not matter in this game, no. so it, it doesn't have that which like Carcassonne does. But yeah. the way that those are built so that they always fit together is very visually pleasing. And there's like fun stuff that is like uh, harkens to the red cathedral. As you build that cathedral, you flip over the tiles of the cathedral when it's complete. And then when the entire cathedral is done, it's in full color. It comes out of scaffolding and there's people around it and stuff like that. It looks pretty. It's pretty. Um, But I think visually, like I'm just happy this game. I think the, the game as a whole is extremely clean and that extends visually. Like it just does not get in its own way. You can just like kind of just access the game. Um, I have actually one minor quibble and I don't know, maybe this may be a quibble. Maybe it's not a quibble on the market. Um, what, as the market evolves, you never know if the price of something is about to fluctuate, you know, like, yeah. so right. as the population goes up and when I made the analogy of like putting on a new sheet of like the spreadsheet, but as we take a card, we don't know, like, does this mean, are we at a break point? Are we at a break point? So yeah. like, Oh, the cost of wood is two right now. If I bring the population in, is this going to, ca- is this going to cause the price of wood to go up to three or is it not? Because that may impact what I'm going to do. And you have no idea. And, uh, I would, they give you a visual cue. Once you've moved the cards, they put a little like asterisk, a dot to say, Hey, this value just changed. Yeah. But they don't indicate that something could go up. And there are times where I'm like, gosh, I really would like to know, but I don't know. Is, is that a, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Is it good? Because like when we played, I just looked, yeah, you just looked, I just looked. So I, I do think the rules say not to, I'm not sure about that. 
I'm not saying that you you did anything wrong. No, I'm no, just no. But that that's not the intention. But with multiple design. plays, you would essentially know it. If it would be a lot to memorize. Yeah, but because uh, you have like, to memorize like, all four columns. I don't right? think it should be a secret. That's fair. I, well, I, 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 I guess the question is: Is it trying to simulate the fact that like you don't really ever know an economy and to, things change? So or? to be clear, you know that taking a certain action will increase population or whatever, and that that will result in the prices going up. But not always. They won't always go up. But it's not as though they might fluctuate and randomly go down. No, no. You know that like, either it will stay it will the same or it will increase by one. But it's there just, are some right. times where you're like, I need to know if this price is going to go up. Totally. Or I want this price to go up. So therefore, I'm going to do this action. Then you do the action. It doesn't go up. And you're like, oh. What? I just added three population. How did the yeah. price of beer How not did, go up? Right. Like I'm trying yes. to like, I'm, I'm trying to raise prices so I can do something big. So I, I, what I can't tell is... Is it a negative that there's no visual indicator for that thing? Or is that actually by design? Like we're supposed to have some sort of like haze over like it's the economy. You can predict it, but you can't ever know it. So I think there are some shorthand cues that you can know. I think, for instance, whenever you build a building, the price of that good will go down. Yes. So really the only mystery is when will prices go up due to population? Right. And also, some of the breakpoints are not necessarily the smoothest. Like, I've seen sometimes things can, like, I think beer sometimes jumps from three to five or six. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't go three, four, five. It can, there can be kind of weird, weird breakpoints. Yeah. That way, Mm -hmm. too, that is sometimes surprising. That said, I think this is so cool. It's it 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 encapsulates supply and demand. It rewards mm. you for doing the thing that the city wants you to do. You and, know, and by the way, this this market because this does tie into presentation. The, this market is like a three D market. This they're like little stands, and they're visual. They're tall, and they're, they're holding they're, a deck of it, cards. It, they they cards. command your attention, and they hold a deck of cards, and it works really well. I mean, sometimes moving the slider over. It's hard to describe on a podcast what we mean by a slider, but just know there's like a little window on each row, and when wherever the window is is where the the price is. But like, and we, and a new thing, it can be really stiff the, to move. And I've heard complaints. Like I know Jennifer, I think really struggled with this and just wanted it to be a spreadsheet. Because right. the thing is, it could have been something that was laid out flat on a board, and you have a whole thing, and maybe the whole thing moves. I guarantee that would have. If things would have gotten jostled. Things would have. Right. It, would, it takes up a lot of this space. This tracks it very. This easily. is just very clean and simple. Yeah. You know. So I'm a fan. So like um, it, yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this. So I mean, we were already talking about stuff we like, but like Jordan, what are some things that you re- that you that you like about this game? That what's working for you about it? I so I think the market system we've already sort of waxed poetical on, but it's that's the the highlight of the game for me, mm-hmm. and I would say the scoring of the cities. And the score, the scoring of the buildings, I should say, and the scoring of the mines, uh, are fairly generic scorings. But there is another really interesting area of scoring in the game, which relates to these. What did we say? Uh, Veins or something? Pol- politicians. Oh, yeah, the uh, patrons. The patrons. There are f- there are four colors of patron, and the way that they get first added to the board and then installed in their positions of power to score recurring points in the final three rounds. We haven't talked game. about public buildings, which is what they come from. That's true. Maybe we should start well, well, how about Why don't we even go a little bit further back? So one thing I, I enjoy that in this city builder game, there's a three-step process to building your building. <laughs> First, you have to plot a piece of land. You basically There's like a grid. You put like a cube out and you're like, I want to build here. 
And there's restrictions on that. And there's restrictions you have to build around a building, you know? And so you're thinking about like what, where, which building am I going to build around? Because there are synergies that you can get scoring synergies, nothing else beyond that scoring synergies by building in, in proper areas. So you, you have to take an action to choose a space. Then you have to choose an action to basically acquire a building from the market, but that comes into your player board and then a third action to put it out onto the board. And so like that three step process means that there's like a huge amount of tempo you have to pay attention to. And like there's timing on when you do each one of those steps and how you do it. And since they cost money, you're also paying attention to the market. So I really like that flow for establishing a city. Just to say in a, in a four player game, you're going to get 25 actions over the course of the game and every building you build is going to take three of them. Right? Yeah. So one of the, so the buildings that you can build, we've mentioned before, you can build your buildings that belong to your guild. So if you're in the beer guild, you can build taverns and stuff. So you can build those, but there are these public buildings that anyone can build and they're more expensive. And when you build the public buildings, that brings patrons into the town often. And the patrons are the things that are going to set you up for scoring. Right. It has other big effects. And usually there's a lot of scoring synergies for having the proper building next to a public building. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the game that's like, oh, but if you build Almost your like building, suburbia style scoring a little bit of what you're next to and you're matching up some icons, which is some of the least interesting part of the game, but it's probably necessary. Public buildings, I think, are so interesting in the sense of like you get some very small instant rewards back from building them. So, you know, some, some but, but mostly you're contributing to the city and kind of setting up what is going to be scored at the end, yeah. whether it's on the map in terms of the icons that are going to line up or these patrons, which are going to say, hey, we're in this particular game. We're really going to reward people that have contributed heavily to the mine and have gone all the way down, mm-hmm. you know, and built in all four levels of the mine. Like there's a lot of stuff that's maybe not as obvious at first in the decisions of the public buildings you build. And even then they're, they're kind of, they're not necessarily helping you. A lot of times the thing that's going to help you in terms of icons is not generating the patron that, that you, want, you want. Yeah. It's interesting. They've set it up properly where you're, yeah, they're not rewarding you for doing the thing you already want to do. Generally, yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, what, so, I mean, cause each page, there's like four different types of patrons. And as the patrons arrive in the city, they have the potential to like basically activate scoring goals that will, you know the scoring goals will hit in the in the latter rounds of the game. Uh, it'll be things like, oh, if you have um, for each one of your one of your guild buildings or one of your buildings that's next to a public building, you'll get points based mm-hmm. on the patrons that are out there. And so it's what I I do enjoy a game where we are crafting the scoring um, system, the scoring system yeah. because a it's fun to do that, but b then once you like if you you want to go hard on something be, that you're doing well at, but then you're also telegraphing this is what I want to score points for, so then people are gonna maybe come and try to like disrupt you or leech or leech, yeah, so right. it creates a really interesting dynamic, but in this game, what's also interesting though is that you if I put out a public building with the hope to then have a patron be a scoring condition there still is like another major like a uh, hurdle before it actually comes you comes into it, right? comes in it sort of like comes into fruition right right and you want to get these installed as early as you can these patrons because they can score up to three times in a game but getting one installed and scoring off it by round three is very difficult wait can you describe what you have to do to get the the patron in you have to take an income action and then spend 10 money right to install them and like which could be very expensive which could be very expensive right and so like 
there, I think there's an element of the, you can do it all yourself, but there's an element of the game where you can say like, Hey, let's like do this together. In fact, when we played, you guys had kind of like a game of chicken going on with this. Like I'm not going to install this patron. Cause I think Trey is going to be like, it matters more to Trey. So right. I'm not going to spend 10 of my precious dollars. Yeah, Jordan soft skilled me successfully where he <laughs> did not pay for it. At, at the end, we both had more than $10 left over. Yeah. So it wouldn't have mattered, but, but my natural cheapness did not yeah. bode well there. I think I'd left some points on the table because I didn't want you to get away with not paying for something that I thought you should pay for. But, but to me, like that's interesting, yeah. right? Of like, Hey, here's this collective thing that we could both benefit from, but one of us actually has to spend the money. And so like, is there a deal to be made there? And I don't know where I'm often kind of trying to trade a currency that doesn't actually exist in the game. Like I was trying to do this last night in Nucleum with like, you know, Chris, if you do this mm-hmm. and you actually trigger my tile here, I know it doesn't benefit you that much, but I will owe you one. Uh, there's right. an Oski. There's, there's an Oski. <laughs> there's an Oski but, and that's better than gold. But also like, I mean, as, as, Jordan, as Jordan mentioned, this, there's only, you know, you have a limited number of actions and you're already spending so many just to build buildings. So if you can like, if you can just do get like, not spend as many actions on things. So if someone else can put that patron in for you, then that's actually really important because that's one less action. Not only save money, I mean, but you don't have to like well, take an income action when you don't want to. Right, right. You know, right. I will say there's a really nice element of this too, where oftentimes public buildings will sit on our player boards for a few turns before they'll be built. But if you look around and see, okay, if Trey builds his public building, that's going to add a yellow patron. And Ben also has a yellow patron sitting in his supply. Mm -hmm. Maybe it makes sense for me to get into the scoring provided by yellow patrons, which I think is relates to the mines now and set myself up so that when those are built, I can go in, install them and immediately benefit off. But then, right. But then what happens is also sometimes if you're doing well in a certain condition, People will be like, oh, we're not going to do that scoring condition. Yeah, I've, I, we're not going to do that because you're going to benefit from it so much more than we are. They might not pay for the patron, but right. if they've already reserved the public building tile, they're likely to still build the public building. Right. And you're also, you can often look and see like, oh, I know where that public building's going right. to. So I think that's in terms of like non head down play, paying attention to other people's boards and the buildings they've queued up is incredibly important in this game. This is a game of mini alliances, whether it's, for example, hey, we have this scoring condition in common, Jordan, mm-hmm. let's team up and flog it as, as we did in one game. There's also almost like a um, negative mini alliance that takes place is like if you and I have the same guild in common um, yes we can both build taverns but all we're really doing is driving the price down so well, sometimes you know well, so that's um, I love the guild system in this game because I love games that do a push pull this is one of the reasons why I love Prago Caput Regni which is that also takes place in in Chechia um, by the way big Right, like well, this one. This one takes place in Chechia, and then Prague is also featured in Nucleum. So, like, it's Prague, sure. the sure. region. Wow, is sure. blowing up right now. Um, Golem. No, that's another game that takes yeah. place in Prague. I mean, I guess it helps that we have all these designers that are from that area. But um, what I love about the guild system, and I haven't played it at two players, yeah. so I know at two players, everyone just you don't share guilds. Like you're right. Just like, so at I'm two, the there's no overlap. Right. At three you have one guild all to yourself and then two of your three overlap. And then at four, all three of your guilds overlap with someone else. So I love, I love a push pull where a game says, Oh, when you put this down, you're going to get a benefit, but this benefit has not like, 
is either works against whatever you just did or has no relation to it. So like as you flog this system, you're improving something else, but you can't do that other thing because you're too busy flogging the system, which is something that happens all over Praga, Capit Regni. And in this game, I feel like you see the, the this thing with the guilds, which is that when you have a guild, you want to build buildings of that guild because it's going to increase um, how effective you are when you take an income action. So like if I build several beer buildings, when I take an income I will get like a You're large creating a amount lot of, of beer, right? I'm You're making a lot, a lot of, of beer. I'm making a lot of beer and I'm going to make a lot of money theoretically from that beer. But what happens is as you build these buildings, you are driving the price down, but it's a need, big supply, which is right. But, yep. but then the thing is though, as you build these buildings, you're taking a little house off your player board and putting it into that center area. And as you pluck houses off your player board, you're actually getting really important bonuses. Like and better and better ones as you build in the same guild repeatedly. Exactly. So the game is encouraging you to flog, but as you flog, you're driving down the price of whatever it is that you're flogging, which means that even though you're increasing your ability to have a great income, since you're lowering the price of that good so much, when you get the income, it'll be a subpar income, even though you can... It's it's just Which one is of those a great expression that, of a market, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's a really clever like it's a clever situation because then you want to kind of like you want to sort of do it just right and then you think about things like well maybe i build i spam out all these buildings earlier in the game so that way the price goes down they need income like get it get it out right away and then as then as the population grows then i'll have like really good income later on you know we should say as well that only four of each building type can be built there's only four Mm -hmm. of each building in the game and you have four buildings in each of your rows. So if you want to get the most valuable reward, you have to build all four of those buildings or take an, like, there there's a few cheats, but, then, some yeah. cheats, but yeah. for the most part, you have to build all four. That's very hard to do because your opponent must be building none of them. But, that, right? but then that's the other that's thing right. is they that, have like, to kind of neglect. You don't <laughs> right. want you don't want to build these buildings too quickly because you're going to create or the price of whatever good you're making and you're going to make less money with income. However, if, uh, so you sort of like, let me like pace this out. But if you are like, if there's two of you who are going for the same buildings and one is going for one of the buildings that you're like, but I need that benefit so badly. I need to reserve this building now because otherwise I could be screwed later. So you're sort of, there's like a lot of urgency in building those buildings. So there's like a tremendous, like the guild system is just like so clever and smart to me. I really love it. It's very good. Yeah. And I think maybe to summarize what you're saying, like to me, this creates a very social game mm-hmm. where you have this interesting push pull that I still don't fully understand a lot of times. Other than I think you can kind of simplify as like typically you want to build what the city needs, you know, like mm-hmm. if, if 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 there's a high price on a good and you can build it, you know, you're yes, you're going to drive the price down a little bit, but you're going to be making a lot of it, so that's good income. Like it. But you, we mm. we are all. It's a weird push pull with all of the players, which I think is really interesting and delicious. Mm. And the guilds also that. have delicious. like and again, damn it. The delicious. guilds also have like an interesting thing, right? Like, they, I feel like they all have an interesting hook. Like, if you're in the wood guild, you're actually not going to make a huge amount from income, but you can control how quickly people build, yeah. right? That's one I think actually potential downside of the game is wood is so significant. Mm-hmm. So if you're one of the two players who has control over wood. Uh, you have a lot of power over the price of the most important action we'll be taking over the game, you know, which and, the the timing of that and the timing sometimes of that sometimes feels random. It's so, well, if you don't have control of the wood guild, it feels super random when all of a sudden 
you know, on your turn, you, you know, you took an income action, you're ready for your next turn to come around so that you can build a 12 wood building at a cost mm-hmm. of two. And now the cost is three, right? Like that is brutal. And so that I, I think wood is, you're right. It doesn't give you much income, but it gives you a lot of control and maybe it's too important. But then the mining, the mining guild is also strong, right? Because it gives you a lot of power and flexibility with going into the mines. Like you can basically go in there for free, Right. And sure. you can also get like really nice mine income off of that as well. Right. So that gives, I mean, it does not the same amount of power, but like, I just feel like the guilds, different guilds have interesting upsides to them. And I will say, I mean, so just for comparison purposes, like food and beer are just money. They yeah. have no they, other power. They play game, pretty similar. But they're the most yeah. valuable. And the other thing that's interesting is when you start the game, you randomly draw a card that creates. You know, if you're playing a four-player game, four groups of three guilds, and then you draft those in reverse turn order. Mm. So there might be a question about how balanced those cards are, but we're not really at the point to comment on that. But it's really interesting, you know, if you're the first to draft, you can look around and say, okay, I could get wood and maybe the mining guild, and I'll have a lot of control over these two aspects of the game, but less income. Or I can go for... You're going to base that decision upon the, the flip of the buildings that were in the market. Maybe, maybe I think I think you're looking at those buildings in determining w- which ones you draft a lot yeah. of times, like what's available there, which may not be obvious on your first play. Sure, but it's but I be love pre- these pregame drafts; they're so mm-hmm. interesting. Right the pat the patent off the patent guild determines the price of patents, and you need to spend patents in order to, to reserve buildings. Do you feel like that has control in the same like that one can control the tempo of people buying patents the way that would with uh, control is the way that people build buildings less because the cheapest building patents always cost one dollar regardless mm-hmm. of the patent price whereas wood is always wood you know it's right like you still have to pay to the wood it, yeah. to to do it i think it um, plays differently i'm like i'm yeah. glad it plays differently it doesn't seem yeah. as crucial as wood and wood seems like really important especially at the beginning mm-hmm. where like I, like the opposite of what you're saying there's times where i've delayed building because i'm looking across the table and it's like it looks like matt's about to build a wood building really would be nice to have a two cost for my building rather than a three cost that will make mm-hmm. a big difference so i might delay here but right then he and, won't or you know i don't know and importantly there's certainty around that if matt builds a building for wood the wood price will go down yeah right every right. Right. a new building is built the price goes down which is which is cool how do you feel about the uh, saint barbara cathedral element i think um one criticism i saw was that for your first play you may not understand how powerful some of the actions on the santa barbara this is so this is a cathedral that's being built and there's about what 14 different 11 11 okay 11 uh tiles that you can kind of access by You've you've completed certain public buildings, done certain things that give you basically the ability to construct a stage of the cathedral. And these different stages have rewards that are of very different power levels, I would say. They kind of ramp up as you go. But these are major. They're huge. Sometimes it's like take two mining actions at no cost, which can mm-hmm. be gigantic uh, later in the game. So you know, being able to take these Santa Barbara actions, it's not, I don't think it's something you can really neglect yeah. in the game. And so there should be a lot of like racing and jostling for cert to get some of these rewards here. Um, whether that's interesting or not, it's really important and you can't mm-hmm. neglect it. So, 
And there's sometimes where it feels like, oh, I wanted to get this thing. And then somebody built an action on the board, which caused that tile to flip because it just raised right. taxes. Right. <laughs> yeah, because like sometimes with this, the, with this cathedral, like the it, things get flipped by either someone taking an action and like they are themselves building that part of the cathedral. But sometimes it's like you build a public building and the public building causes the the thing on the cathedral to flip over, which then, right, isn't that where... I think it's usually actually on either food or... Breweries. Oh, it might only be only be on food. Oh, maybe food and brew. So yeah. maybe so interesting. So there's so maybe, power over Santa Barbara with food. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. interesting. Yeah, yeah that's probably some is interesting it. little relationships there. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, because actually the public buildings often give you these pelican tokens, and the pelican tokens are the things you have to spend in order to do a Santa Barbara action. And so there, I've I've found that in the games I played, there have been moments where someone was really setting themselves up for a bonus, and then some, and then someone just builds. Like without a Santa Barbara action, they do something else that causes it to turn over, and they're, they're, they're not like, even intentionally yeah, and blocking. So it just it's just random. Hey, I just took the your key key to your entire game just went away. But then there was also a moment too with the Santa Barbara where I think it was either I think maybe you were saying it. I had an action where you said, Ben, if you do this thing. <laughs> You're gonna like you're basically gonna turn over a part of you're gonna construct part of Santa Barbara and set Trey up for this amazing bonus. Do you yep. really wanna do that? Yeah. You know? And I said, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I will not but, be manipulated but, by but, you. But later later on, like, you know, with more plays, that'll be more significant. We'll be making more decisions around. But again, I, I like I like that kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, it's really cool. Like, just to understand what you're doing here is you're handing Trey this big Santa right, Barbara action. Right, if you do that, then like I, I think some people object to that kind of level of table talk. I think I, I always enjoy. It. I think that's the I think whole, that's the fun. Yeah, right. Totally. I, yeah, I, I was gonna say that. I think like probably my my biggest positive on this game. You know, I love the market and everything. I just love how it all is interconnected so well. I just everything from the player board to Santa Barbara to the mines to the to the cities the city building and everything just seems to weave together very cleanly and it's thematically clean um i'm just like really impressed it's not like oh i built this thing and oh it causes you know it causes some of santa barbara to be constructed everything's connected it's like it's causes santa barbara to be connected because you have because you have sold so much meat at your butcher that you i'm assuming you have now um like you've generated income in the city and you've the increased the population. This. So more people are available to work on the cathedral. Like it, so. just, like it all makes sense what we are doing. And yeah. I just, I, I am so impressed yeah. with how all these pieces work together, you know? Yeah. It's, it feels like finely tuned craft work where everything causes some other cascading effect. And when you get to a certain level of play with the game, I imagine you'll be doing a lot of that intentionally. Mm -hmm. Um, Trey, are there some things in this game that are, you would like to see more fleshed out a bit more, or maybe some things that didn't quite work for you? I think there's plenty of room for expansion, right? Like you could easily see some kind of expansion where you start to randomize the tiles in Mm -hmm. Santa Barbara. Like that could be, could have some, or, you know, not just the order, but in terms of like what, what it offers yeah. or something like yeah. that. I think there's probably some room for that. Almost like a new Agricola there. deck. Like, oh, you have a new Santa, no, it's not the church of Santa Barbara. Now it's the church of something mm-hmm. else. <laughs> I think it's like a different set of tiles. Like, right. I think it's a really interesting system. Um, I think you know, one thing I worry about in the game is like, I've really been enjoying it. Is it going to start to feel samey? At ten plays, I I think there might be a potential for sameness. Like the the this, the random setup may not be random enough. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm wondering, especially because like all those Santa Barbara tiles are the same and it's the same progression every time. 
And like one minor concern I have, minor concern, is mm. that there may not be enough points in the mine, in the actual like area control, area majority at the end. It seems like those points feel a little underpowered like the points in the cities have in my place so far have kind of dwarfed the points in the mind but that i know i've not played enough to know if that's actually true or not yeah that's really interesting it's sort of player choice because the points in the mine are determined by playing out mine tiles that have stars on them but mine you, you'll usually draw more than one mine tile and oftentimes there'll be mines with powerful actions that have no stars mm-hmm. so the points don't go up but instead you're taking these powerful you're increasing actions. your engine yeah right so it's kind of an interesting aspect. But a lot of times when I'm placing some, like, even I'm placing some big star token, I'm looking and saying, like, oh, this is going to be worth two points. Sure. You know, it felt sure. a little, sometimes mm-hmm. it feels a little underwhelming. And especially if you're going into that mine hoping to get some sort of, like, income or whatever, and then your income doesn't go up. It's just, you get, like, stars. You know, this is just going to translate to, like, a point at the end of the game. is like a little, eh. I feel like the mine is... um I mean, the mine's not like bad. But I think it's one of the less 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 interesting things to do. I don't I know agree. why. I don't know why it's not like not quite as fun. But like, by the way, this is like a quibble version of that. Yeah, it's still fun. It's still fun. It's still good. And there's still interesting stuff to do in the mine. But for some reason, it just doesn't seem to be as like exciting and thrilling as working on the city for me. I agree. I think for yeah, the mine's a little more boring. I think the mine patron that you can install adds a lot of extra scoring to the mine. And so maybe you're, if you want to go that route mm-hmm. and have a big mine strategy, you also need to install. This that is one of those notes that we've like had that. after yeah. a few plays where we don't know enough about it. But I, I think you were talking about a three player game where you played with Tom, where Tom went heavy into the mine, like built, you know, two different four layer things and was getting reward for the scoring. And it's mm-hmm. like, Oh, it seems like he had a really great mind game. And he like, well, he came in second, you know, it was kind he of did. the, mm-hmm. was, but he was scoring 12 points a turn by the final turn of the game. Wow. Which is a lot. I will say in a three player game too, the game feels really different because there's a whole nother round of play. You play six rounds instead of five. So you can, you personally have more development on the board. Yeah. I, I still haven't played three. I, I would guess, like, I'm not saying that three is a bad game, yeah. but I would, four is where this game feels like it's at its most socially interesting. Yeah. And I played the two and it was not socially interesting, but it was all just like, oh, I can't wait to play this with more people. Mm-hmm. Because when you have no competition over the buildings, you're actually quite constrained about like what you can do. Right. So like, it's a very different game at, at two. And I'm not saying it's a bad game, but it's a very different game I can at two. Different. I think I would only want to play it at four. Three might be okay, but I think mm-hmm. the things that I like about the game are going to be most present in the four. I would give three a try once. I hear you and I agree. There's more interaction over the guilds because you're competing on every guild at four and at three you have one to yourself. But there is more potential to set up your own scoring conditions in a three-player game mm-hmm. because there's four rounds of scoring from patrons instead of three, mm-hmm. and you can ramp up more. And so if that's part of the game you enjoy is building your own scoring conditions and and then meeting them, you can have more opportunities to do that in a three-player game. That's less interactive. Um, uh, Not necessarily, because if someone else is building more of the green patrons, then you need to get into green, and there's more time for you to do that. There's more of an arc around the scoring conditions. Maybe, maybe, you know. saying, we when we played the last time, we, we even though it was contentious, like we did have certain alliances, whether totally. we intended them or not, in terms of the scoring. I think that that's going to be most present in in the four, rather than like you said, I'm setting up my own scoring conditions that only I can benefit from. Right. That's not You're something right. that can happen in the four player game. 
Yeah. I, um, by the way, one thing that we didn't mention that I do like, I know we're in the, in the quibble section, but one thing I do like when talking about mining is that like, uh, as the more, as the more you, someone mines, the more, the, the more the price of silver goes up. So, or the, the value of ore goes down and the value of silver goes up. And then the more that silver, the supply of silver goes down, the more the value of ore goes up. They're in, inversely related, mm-hmm. which I just think is a fun, that's a fun interplay between the players that are in, involved with those guilds. Like it's just another smart design quirk, like just a, another clever thing just to throw in there, which I appreciate. Um, but I think for me, my biggest quibble, and again, all quibbles, because I think this is really an excellent game, mm-hmm. is that um, with the city scoring at the end of the game, you basically are trying to line up icons. So every building has certain icons on it. And so, you know, you the, you get points that say, like, if you have like a red icon on your building, then you're going to get a point for every red icon that's surrounding your bi- building orthogonally. And then maybe you might have multiple may have a red and a yellow so they get points for red and yellows around so it makes sense and it uh makes sense as like a a basic scoring thing like it's not a tricky thing to understand and you can um it weighs in on your decisions like it's good in terms of what my decision is but it just feels like in a game where everything feels very like well thought out and thematic that these this sort of like okay match icons align icons feels like an afterthought to me and i wish that that it was either something more interesting or if they had found a way to make that thematically work more like instead of icons maybe they represented um it maybe as like roads or people or civil, like citizens or something like that so that way you feel like oh i connected this this half of the farm to that half of the farm i put this house together that house. i don't know what it was they, they could have visually made it makes sense in the larger narrative of the game right what those represent yeah they probably they're probably in the rules they're probably i think it's necessary like Mm -hmm. for the map to matter those icons need to be present Mm -hmm. and what i've yes in my in my place so far there's times where those icons kind of like line up where like oh the right building came up for me and i can buy it and i'm Mm going to score a lot of points with this and then there's other times where like None of these buildings are going. <laughs> I can't, there's no buildings for me to to buy that will be rewarded with the correct icon. So sometimes it just kind of works out. I agree that's that's like my least favorite thing in the game, but I also think it's necessary for the relationship in yeah. the map part of the city to be there. And that's part of the real estate game, which is very contentious. By the mm-hmm. way, you know, the, it, it we haven't really explained it, but you know wh- where you can place down your your plots to control the real estate is actually constrained by like. You can't just place them anywhere. You're quite constrained. And so there is some almost like abstract strategy bits of when do you reserve certain plots to so that you can score them later or benefit from other people's buildings like that matters. It's it's another by the it's way, another bit of load like the AP in this can be significant. And I just want to say, by the way, that I, in, in our recent play, there was a situation where there was a prime spot of real estate. And but I also I had a Pelican token and there was a prime a bonus on the cathedral. And if I went for the real estate, I would be letting, I think you Trey grab a, the bonus from St. Bar- St. Barbara. And I was like, okay, I've got to decide between the real estate and Santa Barbara right now. And I chose, I chose Santa Barbara and then Jordan got this amazing piece of real estate. And then ultimately, actually that real estate was probably much worth much. And more. Jordan won that game by but, a point. 
That's now right. I know why. Yeah. That's all thanks but, to Ben. But it was thanks, a, Ben. But it was it was an example of again, like I had to look around the table, I saw what Trey could possibly get, and then I had to decide right. what's best for me, yada yada yada. Um That's good. Uh, which was good. But yeah, so just just a, as sort of a I want to play no, devil's advocate on this icon okay. system too. Okay. But do you have right, more sure. to say about it, Trey? About- no, no, no. It's certainly not my favorite thing. I do think it it seems like it's necessary. Is this the best version? Of it, no. I would. I'm like. I think it should be more thematic, especially because like the icons are kind of independent of the type of buildings. Like we have this probably whole represent something. We have like, this reference sheet that kind of shows you like, okay, here's the different icons that are available probably, with all the I'm buildings. Sure one means science, and one means like whatever has this quality or that quality. But it feels a little Trismegistus. It no. does. the The theme of it doesn't really make sense. I agree, but I think the system is simplified and it gets out of your way yeah to allow you to think about scoring opportunities and for placement to matter but the game of placement mattering of when do i build this plot yeah oh if i want to build a plot here i need to wait for ben to build this building next to it first uh oh this plot is only four dollars now but if i let ben build that building there first it's going to cost me ten dollars instead right There's a really interesting game around sequencing. getting the yeah. uh, sequencing getting the right building tiles getting the uh you know getting the icons to match and i will say trey you were saying it sometimes feels kind of random which building tiles you get and whether the icons match but when i'm playing the game i'm thinking about which like i'm already thinking about how am i going to get my icons to match i need to get a row of three buildings or four buildings next to each other so i can generate big points there Mm -hmm. and i'm looking at which public buildings will let me do that which buildings in my guild will let me do that and all of that information is on this little player aid guide that they give to the players so that you can make those plans and i think that having a simple system that you can engage with to find the scoring you need is a really good thing and i also think it's telling that they give you that player aid and they don't give you a player aid that says when our price is going to go up they're like, this is where your attention should be. We're going to give you this so that you can find mm. your point scoring. And that's how they want you to play the game. And so I think the system works really well, although I do agree the theme is not quite there. It's all about sequencing. And I feel like, you know, I know we're, again, we're in the quibble section, but I feel like we actually have not given its due, like the card system. I think that actually the card play is really good in this game. There have been many times where I'm like, okay, this is what my sequence is going to be. Oh no, I like, I don't have that action anymore because i decided to flog building or something like that and so like on top of every single thing you're talking about you're also trying to figure out how do i make sure i have the cards that i need like the actions that i need which actions am i going to sacrifice or if you want to make a pivot and then it's like i can't make that pivot anymore because i yeah. i stupidly used income like i, used yeah, I think everybody that has that playing the game like oh i used really the card so like on top of everything else yeah. it's just the way you actually play the game uh is is really fun and i feel like it's a really good distillation of the the it reminds me of voidfall it reminds me of a very simple voidfall where voidfall you're going to play a a card and you can take two of the three actions and when you play that card you're sort of now that action's out and so now what future actions are like oh no i want to do this and then this sequence but i lost that other action because it's on that card so we have that a little bit here in a way that i find really satisfying Completely. But the uh, one thing I want to ask you about, Jordan, though, that Trey, you brought up, uh, variability, sameness. You've played this game more than us. And I feel like we've had conversations where you start to say you're starting to see it be, is it repetitive or is it samey or no? I think it is kind of samey game after game. There's not a ton of variability. I think the only variability is which guilds do you have? 
which can be impactful and, and also the, the starting the mind setup yeah which is not that interesting or important so it does feel a little samey uh game after game but maybe as we continue to play we'll find more routes for player interaction that will spice up the game a little bit and you know maybe we'll also find that interaction on the the church will spice up the game from game to game they do have like 20 different cards for the setup right the like how the guilds can be mixed up so there's mm-hmm. no like perfect perfect cocktail or anything like that but i some of the like the fear is that the kind of push pull of this game ends up constraining things into kind of a samey experience sometimes. Like, cause there is that tough thing was like, Oh, Hey, beer's trading really high. I should build some beer. It's like, well, now I just reduced the price. You know, like it all, it does have this like a uh, balloon, like envelope effect that pulls everything towards the center in a lot, mm-hmm. in a lot of ways that, that might make things similar. It's yeah. tough. Like I kind of had a theory in this game one time of like, Hey, how are you, you know, you can be runaway in this game, like having a high income, good things are going to happen when you have a high income. Like there's a little bit of a runaway leader thing. Like we, I saw that game I played, David had a great income early on and just ran it to victory. No problem. Um, but oh, what was my point here? Uh, oh, is victory sometimes be like, can you be like, I'm the guy who built food and no one else ever built food. Like when you can be like, if you can work out that no one ever contested you in an area, like that's a way to do really well. And Mm. so like sometimes your success is not, you don't control your own success. It's whether someone kind of got in your way or not. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, I don't think that's actually true because I think we saw Dimitri monopolize food in his game and it did not necessarily mean victory, but it seemed like he was doing very well early on and and then just failed it in to convert it into points. I think you have to monopolize early. I think you have to, if you're going to do that, you have to monopolize early. So that way you get all the benefits from your player board, but also, so that way when you destroy the value, there's time for it to rebound and then you can have like a huge income later. But interestingly, the game does has some stuff we haven't talked about with the market, which is that like it, will uh it prevents spamming of buildings like a lot of times like if you put out like a second if, sometimes if you put There's out a, a second kind of yeah. of like maybe a second wood building but the population is still small the game will say okay you no more wood buildings are allowed to be put out right, right. now until, until the population, the population grows and then there's also that thing where like if a certain building has not been built and the population is growing too much it'll auto build yeah it auto builds yeah. which is which is cool too so you can't also you can't hold back on building to drive up prices. Um, the game will force that building to be built. So like some cool little AI it's cool system, yeah, it, you know, definitely. Um, I feel like any final thoughts, Jordan, what are your final thoughts on this game? I have one more positive we haven't touched on yet, which is sure. I really love the two action. T- so every round you're going to take two actions on your turn, then two actions, then one action. And I just wanted to ca- talk about it for one second because it's almost packs. Like when you have two actions, you can, build a wood building, lower the wood price, and then build another building guaranteeing yourself that lower wood price. Or you can get a, you know, a Pelican token and then go to Santa Barbara and immediately right. activate it. So if you're sequencing your actions properly, you can benefit from taking two actions simultaneously. And I think that's a really cool touch as well. So all told, I think it's a great system. Like I said, it feels like clockwork. Everything works really well together and it's super interesting. And the question is whether there's enough variability to carry the game from something that we liked but stopped playing in 2023 or in early 2024 or something that continually hits the table like in Agricola. But the game itself is really enjoyable and the systems 
you know, they're, it's they're not marvelous. built for replayability the way Agricola is. Right. It's not, you know, and if, and if I get 10 plays out of this game, great. Like, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I think I, this is a very strong recommendation for me. I mean, and the, my quibbles about replayability, like I'm not there yet. I'm, and that may even be, I may be wrong about that too i it's such an interesting space i could also see an expansion just like blowing up the replayability like the way that the way that the red cathedral expansion Mm -hmm. sort of will lets you just sort of plug in different modules and all of a sudden you have a whole different game i can see like a module type of thing being thrown in here not just like another cathedral but maybe different guilds or maybe different interactions or who knows what Mm -hmm. different scoring conditions for the patrons but like there could definitely be there definitely could be room. Yeah, for the load it. of this game is not unmanageable. It it is a little AP producing because you're 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 considering a lot of things. But if they added one more layer to the game for experienced players in expansion, it would yeah. be just fine. I think it's just like a it's a really really just sharp design. Like we said, everything works like clockwork. I've said it before on this podcast that I was really impressed that you know I've, there have definitely been games we played that work really hard to make lots of different systems come together. And it feels a little sweaty. It feels like they have to put like games have to add in a layer of rules just to get different concepts to come together. And here they all mesh well. And you sit there and you learn the rules and you're like, Oh my God, there's so much going on. But when you start to play, it just is so smooth. And actually my experience has been that the games are relatively quick. Mm -hmm. Um, So the play time is pretty good. And um, I, I think it has a beautiful mix of social interaction and city building and economy. And even though this is a quote unquote city builder, uh, it doesn't really feel like a city builder to me. It feels like an economic game and the city is sort of like a manifestation of the, of the economy to me. So therefore, cause if it's a city builder, I usually come in with a whole different set of standards that I can't help. Like I need to have a SimCity experience and this is not that, (laughs) this is not that, but I don't care at all because I think the economy is really so fun and it just, it's just, it just moves. Just, it's, it's like just glides along. So I don't know about the replayability, but I've pre-ordered it and I can't wait for my copy to come in. I think it's, it's, it's one of the best of the year in my mind. I agree. Yeah. It's interesting. You know, there's three games that came out of Essen that were sort of, touted as being the big ones right nucleum kutnora and evacuation and so mm-hmm. it'll be interesting you guys are going to talk about evacuation soon but it'll be interesting in you know maybe in early january to do a little what was the best game of essen oh we'll do mm-hmm. our best of the year as well so that's kind of yeah cool. this will be in that discussion yeah, yeah, right? yeah. i think it, i think it will for me this will, will be in the discussion evacuation will be in the discussion sure. the question is for me which one do i like more this one or evacuation i, mean, I think i know my answer but they are <laughs> stay tuned stay tuned that's stay a little tuned. tease um, well, I, I think that I think that is that sums up everything about Cut Nahora, mm-hmm. and I think that sums up everything on the podcast. So, thanks guys for 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 being here. And you've been listening to Game Brain, produced and edited by Matthew Robinson, Tom Donnelly, Trey Alsop, and Ben Mandelker. Special thanks to Datalist for our incredible music. More on Datalist at GameBrainPod.com. And thanks to Adamar Peleg for our incredible graphics. Be sure to check him out on Instagram at at Kerbuloni or his website Kerbuloni.com. You can reach us by email at contact at GameBrainPod.com. Do that for that soul giveaway. And thanks for listening and go play some games, friends, or make some friends with games. <laughs> <laughs>